Hey guys, so to respect Kaler's religion and heritage and things of that nature, um, we're cutting out a certain amount of some of the details that go into the traditions that are carried on. So if you notice cuts that kind of don't necessarily make sense, I'm going to try and keep it in as much continuity as possible. But just so you know, like there's certain things that are pretty sacred. So this is respecting her and her culture. Uh, thank you, and I hope you enjoy the show. So every now and then I'll be like, just, all you gotta do is just... A little nudge. A little nudge, and then you're good. Is that you? Jesus Christ. Thanks for tuning in again. Uh, I'm excited for this week's guest to give us some perspective on a topic that we haven't covered quite as much. I met them as many of the other lost toys at the tattoo shop. They are wonderful and fantastic. I'm excited to have Kaylor Brady on this week. It me. Hi, <laughs> Kaylor. How the heck in fact are you? We're here. <laughs> We're here after months. I was going to say, I know you've been nervous. I have. But I hope like all of the plush toys and randomness. It's, my, it's light and fluffy. It's nice. <laughs> Let's start at the beginning and then we'll kind of move into where, um, why I thought you'd be a good fit for coming on. Um, so where did you grow up? I grew up, so for six years of my life, I grew up on the reservation, uh, Fort Berthold Reservation. MHA Nation. There's multiple names that people call it. And then we moved to a smaller town in Dickin like Dickinson, North Dakota, which is like maybe two hours away. And I grew up there for most of my life. Like and then I moved to St. Cloud when I was seventeen. Oh, okay. And then I started college like in the spring. Oh. Yeah, I was seventeen. <laughs> so Dickinson. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I don't know North Dakota like as well as I do the demographic of Minnesota, but mm-hmm. um, I'm assuming majority honkies. Yeah, it's majority white people. There was a couple of like POC, but they were mostly like because the university had a larger international population. So there was more like Asian Americans, African Americans there. So there was never I never like grew up with like native influence like in school oh okay so like but i would always like i don't know brown people kind of like congregate together so i'd always like still find my people in any way yeah most of the like and a lot of my friends were like my close best friends that i consider my best friends were just like little white girls <laughs> which were fine you know <clears throat> were you taught a lot of like um your heritage values and things like that growing up no so <clears throat> Yeah, we moved, like, when I was, like, six years old, maybe. And my parents wanted to go to college. So they were both focused on college. And then my dad had this job um, at the Partial Resource Center where he basically worked with addicts. Oh. And to, like, get them, um, like, a job, try to find them, like, trying oh, to get placement. them, like, yeah, off on their feet and stuff like that. So he would go back and forth quite often. So he was there a lot, but he wasn't really immersed in the culture either. 
Um, but he would like, you know, pray and stuff like that. Just like, go okay. see my my grandpa a lot. My grandpa was a medicine man in our community. No way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. But um, my mom and I, no, not really. My mom's, well, my grandma, my mom's mom. Uh, she's a white lady, and then she married a white guy. But he wasn't my mom's like actual dad. Oh, yeah. So like he was like my step grandpa, but he I saw him as my grandpa anyway. Just sure. like he was the one that I grew up with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then is is your mom native as well? Yep. So my other grandpa, he's he's from our reservation still. Um, I can't remember like what percentage. Of his blood oh. <laughs> is like native, but yeah, she's mixed too. She's white and native. Well, I feel like, I mean, it's it's so wild to think that like, you know, people will say that, um, not to like go off on too much of a tangent, but white people complaining about white privilege and like the connotations with that. And then at the same time complaining about immigration and all of these things like there's all of these ironic things that on a daily basis people don't realize we have an example of like horrific colonization and depending on where you live you have almost a daily reminder that we there was a mass genocide mm -hmm. like it's bananas so, right i feel like when you when white people talk about racism like Specifically, like BLM, there's such like a negative, like, well, I don't know, I have mixed feelings, you know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but then you talk about like the effect on Native Americans that racism has and colonization, and they're like, yeah, that was really <laughs> bad. Like, and there's just all this white guilt, and it's like, then you're kind of just like sitting there with them, like in this like awkward space, and it's like, yeah, so anyway, um, <laughs> like, I don't know what you want me to do about that or, like, if you want me to take care of that because that's not my business. I got yeah. my, like, generational trauma to take care of. Exactly. That's So that was the other, like, so what, the, what I was leading to was, like, so we don't, or I don't think enough people think about how, like, because most of the people that I meet, it's a very similar story. They didn't know much about their heritage growing up. Mm -hmm. But then as they got older, they were like, I do want to know mm -hmm. more about where I come from and what like our values are and all of these things. Um, so it's having to to dig back. So it's like with each generation, a little bit's lost and mm -hmm. they're having to go dig and find it. And like, we don't have any of that. Not no. really like, or I don't think it's as difficult for us to, to, to really like go through that stuff. Right. And I also think too, like, because some people are socialized to be ashamed of it or like, no, you don't believe that anymore. And that's oh. kind of how my family was a little bit like my. Oh, you mean ashamed on, on your. Yeah, your like ashamed to like not like be native, but to like not practice the like cultural teachings and like to be spiritual, I guess. Everyone oh. like was raised Christian. And that's kind of where like boarding schools like play a part in like colonization and stuff like that and how there's like kind of a divide of like people call it like being tradish being okay. traditional <laughs> and um and like my grandma for instance like my um her son he's like my uncle he's like i'm um, going to help like build earth lodges and like 
kind of like going to ceremony more, going to sweat more. He's just like immersing himself in that culture and like going to Sundance and like Sundance is not easy. And like you do that to like pray for your family and stuff like that. And that's like really like sacred thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, so you're, you're talking about traditions that hopefully carried on from potentially like thousands of years. Yeah. Whereas our heritage, if like people are saying like, I'm true blood American, yarder, yarder. It's like, okay, well, so ours goes back like 200 years. That's nothing. We're still babies like in comparison. So any tradition that we think is weird or whatever, like, I feel like we don't even have room to say anything because it's like, what traditions have we even started? Exactly. It's nothing in comparison to like the longevity of something lasting that many centuries is just, it should be looked at as like, um, or looked upon in awe, as they say, because it's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Well, like our people just have so much resistance. I mean, it's just constant. The government took went lengths and lengths and lengths to try to get rid of natives and it's an honor to be here (laughs) wow man that's heavy (laughs) the so do you have relatives that are still in north dakota then Mm -hmm. all of my family is in north dakota like my i guess sorry oh gosh gross (sighs) i know i'm being my body's being my body is so gross first you farted at the beginning oh my god i know i got this big old dumpy behind me (laughs) It's fucking heavy. Um, what was, oh yeah, but my mom, my mom's here, my brother's here, my stepdad's here, but all of my like my dad, my grandma, my other grandparents, cousins, aunts, uncles, they're all there. So like, are or is your family um, majority from North Dakota? Like going back, or did people move to North Dakota? I'm always curious about that. As to like how far back families go mm-hmm. especially if if you've lived on a reservation at some point i'm not sure because i know my grandma's always lived there my grandparents always lived there like i'm not sure where their parents came from or their parents parents like mm. i never looked into that because i was like not that interested <laughs> i didn't really give a shit <laughs> See, these were... are the things you got to think about because as you get older it's going to get tougher Right. Yeah. I guess I could start asking around. Because that's that's the like the the thing that I hear from the people my age that uh-huh. are like it's it's getting tougher to to go back and and find these things out because, um, you know, people pass away and um, or information just gets lost. Right. There's things that get lost along the way. Um, so be better. That's what I'm saying. Because yeah, right now you're horrible. I know I'm shitty. <laughs> Just laid on thick. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, going to school in Dickinson. Uh-huh. Um, and like I was saying before, like because you're of a slightly different generation, I would imagine that prejudices and things like that weren't as heavy growing up, unless you have a different story. Uh, they weren't like heavy, heavy. But like I remember this one time... My family and I, we, we were talking about maybe moving back to the reservation because my dad's job was more demanding. And my mom was like, not like mad, but she would get 
annoyed that he had to leave for so often. There was talk about moving back, and I told my geography teacher that, and one day he was, like, passing out papers, and I sat in the, we were um, alphabetized, like, by last name. So I sat in the front, and um, he gave me the papers, and he was like, "When when are you going back to where you came from? And I was like, I don't know. I'll have to get back to you on that. I mean, I was just like, I'm not sure. What the fuck? And then I like passed the papers back. And then I told my mom about it and she was pissed and she called the school. And then the next time I was there because I saw him talking to the principal. And so like I knew that like something was happening. So next I saw him, he was like, pulled me aside and was like, I didn't mean it that way. Like you're like a great student. And I was just wondering like if it's actually happening and blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, okay. But at the time, like, see, like, at the time I didn't, like, I wasn't educated and I didn't have the words that I do now to, like, identify things like that. Oh, sure. You know what I mean? So I just, like, my mom knew it was wrong. My dad knew it was wrong. But I was just like, I mean, like, I don't know. You know, like, I was just like. Well, "Mm." and you're you're at an age. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say you're at an age where an an authority figure is the one that said it. Mm -hmm. It's a little different when, like, it's a peer because then you can kind of pop off and, and say whatever you want. But like, right. you have to do all of this processing. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, what could I say? What am I allowed to say? Am I exactly. going to get in There's trouble? There's a power imbalance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's a fucked up scenario. I, I feel like a lot of kids have at least one type, like that that weird power struggle where you're like, I know that like you're you adult, I'm yeah. kid, but... What you, what you just did was fucked up. Yeah. And I, I, I'm, like, not allowed to process it. Right, or, like, stand up for myself. <laughs> yeah. And, like, yeah, it was weird. But, like, other times, I guess it was, like, just small things. Like, in the summer, I'd be hanging out with all my white girlfriends, and they'd be like, you're so dark. I want to be as dark as you. And I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> like, keep dreaming. You're going to be a leather couch and like t- by, your, by the time you're 25. So, but, like, uh... Every, like, the classic, like, when Native Americans would be brought up in history class, everyone would be, like, turn and, like, look at you. So it was, like, always show and tell. Like, I would bring in, like, my my shawl. I had a red shawl that was, like, painted. that had an eagle on the back. And so I'd bring that in, bring my star quilt in. And then my dad, I think one time my dad, like, had written up something for me to, like, say. Um... And I was like in fourth grade or third grade. I think it was fourth grade. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, it wasn't too bad, but it was always like it's weird, show like, and tell type of thing. The um, the the um, how, how would I word it? Like the um, evolved racism mm-hmm. because it's more the microaggression stuff, right? Right. So it's just like small paper cuts. Yeah, the, that people don't even. It's so weird because. Like they're well intentioned because they think they're giving you a compliment. Mm -hmm. But I just became familiar with this term last year, which was exoticizing. Mm -hmm. So um, there was this Korean girl that I spoke with um, who had a sex addiction and it was kind of trauma based and really weird. But a lot of it was because white guys would say things like I've never been with an Asian woman before. Mm -hmm. And so it would become, yeah, this, this fetish thing Mm -hmm. and and super weird. So like 
ever since I learned that term, it's like, oh, is that why, like, if I get too hyped on a thing, what what am I saying? What am I verbalizing to that individual? Right. Is that going to be perceived as like, well, I sure wish I had all of your struggles so that I could. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> like trying to point out things on a genetic level are totally different than the experience that comes along with that thing. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah, it's just, it's interesting. Well, and like to go off of what you were talking about with the exoticism, like Disney does that all the time. Oh, yeah. Like that, all the Disney princesses, Pocahontas, I mean, that's why there's like such like this, like, because I've gotten that same response of like, I've never been with a native girl before. Like, really? Okay. And what is that? Like, what's that supposed to mean? Like, I don't know. Or like, have you seen Res Dogs? No, dude, I'm dying to watch it. There's you a, should watch it because uh, you, this you comedian get like... Bobby Lee that plays the doctor. Yeah, the Korean guy. Yeah, he's so good. <laughs> he's he's also like he kind of plays like the weird doctor. He's like everyone's doctor. Oh, okay. But it's funny because like on the res, like that's on small reses. Um, there's usually like one doctor that's like the everything doctor. Really? Yeah, it's just kind of like how um, IHS used to work. Like Indian uh, health services. There wasn't a whole lot of like, I mean, you think about it, like it, who is going to be a doctor on the reservation? I, I never mean, even like, thought of that. And then, yeah, someone has to relocate. Like, it doesn't matter who, like, especially if there's not anyone qualified on the reservation. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, it's funny, but it's also not. Yeah. <laughs> um it's it's the trauma bonding. Exactly. Like, like trauma bonding. You watching it is totally different than me watching it. Mm-hmm. Like I, I I get the humor in in what you're saying, but like the way that you're laughing at it is a shared experience where we can all be like, Man, that fucking sucked, right? Or you all can say mm-hmm. that fucking sucked. I can be like, I like the Korean doctor. Right, exactly. <laughs> um But yeah, in that show there's this white guy that this um the main character his name is bear and his mom works at ihs works at the clinic Mm. and she one night she's single and i guess divorced and um she goes out one night goes home with this guy and she's always talking about how she wants this doctor or a lawyer like really successful man so she wakes up in this nice ass house and like he's successful like obviously is nice things big huge fucking house and she goes downstairs he has like breakfast made and then he like pulls up his sleeve and he's got like this confederate flag tattoo with like a feather on it and then he was they were like just casually talking and then he was like yeah i've only ever been with native women and then she like has this like huge like scenario playing in her head like and then like this um black girl walks in with like this platter and she's like would you like some lemonade? Like, it's just like... No way. Yeah, but it's kind of funny because it's like... <laughs> like, when you hear stuff like that as a Native woman, you're like... That's kind of what you think of. of like, oh, oh, oh. This, like, that was playing in her head, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, it was just okay, like yeah. a scenario in her head. Gotcha, that, like, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. She took it way farther than it actually went. But then when you hear stuff like that, though, you're just like... Are you like actually like being serious like do you actually like native culture or are you like just being a fucking weirdo that has like a fetish for native women right like, or just women of culture in general it's common very common wow that's what i, I forgot to ask do you have brothers and sisters 
I am a brother. Okay. But he's like three. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he's a baby. He's a wee baby. Yeah. Um. So your relationship with your your folks. Um. How old were you? I'm sorry. Did you say they they split? Yeah, so they were together for 13 years, and uh, I was was like 14, no, 13. Okay. I was 13, because my grandpa died when I was 14, and they weren't together then. Mm. But, um, yeah, they were, like, on and off a lot. My dad had a, what do they call it now? It's not like an addiction disorder. He has an addiction disorder. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, um... What do you recall of, like, growing up? Like, did it seem like things were heading that way? Because mm-hmm. it, it, it's it's fascinating the amount of people that I hear, like, that kids were hoping that their parents would get divorced because they saw them fighting so much. Yeah. Which is, I can't even imagine what that feels like because that's such a conflicting like, I don't know. It's just wild to me. So I'm curious as to what your experience was. There were times where I was just like, you both need to just like get away from each other. Like, well, and my dad too, he just had like so much to go through himself. And my mom was also kind of demanding. She just is. I mean, that's just how she's always been. Like, demanding is- or type A? I could, some people, I'm used to it, so I dumb it down for people as, like, she's demanding. (laughs) Okay. But, like, it's probably type A. I mean, like, and I'm the same way. Like, I'm very particular and, like, don't ask for help when I need it. But then when I do need it, I assert myself and stuff like that. But, like, she's very organized. She's, I don't know. She's got ADHD, so she has now taken care of it. But before, she was undiagnosed and not using like any medication Mm. whatsoever so it was just like kind of all over the place all the time you kind of adapt um but when they split my dad ended up moving back to the reservation we stayed in the house he was abusive so i just kind of like cut my off or cut myself off from him because I needed to, like, figure out how I felt about it all. And I just knew that, like, we all kind of needed space from each other. Because there was, like, a lot of, like, collective trauma that wasn't being taken care of, wasn't being addressed. So it would just, like, come out in, like, fights about mm. everything. Money, groceries, like. Would Did it seem like these things would happen while he was under the influence well, see, when he was, like, under the influence, like, ugh, okay, so my mom worked for a sand and gravel company, okay. um, and she would go out on business trips quite often, and one time she was in Arizona, and he, like, went out or whatever, and I was at home, and after a while, it was, like, it was, like, 10 o'clock, I had school the next day, and, like, I don't know, when you are with, and you grow up with an addicted, uh, a parent that has an addiction, you just know after a while, after, like, they're not responding to texts, calls, you just know that they're, like, out at the bar doing whatever. So, 
I kept calling him, texting him, leave him voicemails. And then, of course, I was, like, calling my mom. She finally was just, like, she never liked to get my grandparents involved just because, like, they didn't like that he had an addiction problem. And they were just, like, you need to just, like, let him go get help and basically get a divorce and stuff like that. They just were not there for it, which is understandable because they had me and, like, Oh, sure. You know, just like for everyone's best interest. Yeah. So I called my grandma. She came and picked me up. And then when I got outside, he was in the driveway and she was in the driveway. And I was like, oh, fuck. Like, uh, so then I just like walked straight out, got my grandma's car, and then we just left. And that was just kind of like the straw that like broke the camel's back for me because I was just like, dude, like, mom's out of town. Like, you, you could have done this like any other night. But mom's out of town and you know, you probably know that she's not going to get mad that you're drunk because she's, she doesn't know. I mean, like you could maybe hide it from her. Oh, But sure. no, you know what I mean? Like, because arguments would spark when he was drunk. Yeah. That's the unfortunate thing. Like when you're an addict with kids, like you think that you're being sneaky, mm-hmm. but there's eyes on you the whole time and you're not being conscious of like... Yeah, because I would do that all the time. Like my my wife used to uh, work overnights. Mm-hmm. So I'd be like, OK, so I can get drunk or I can drink up until uh, like 10 at night. And then by the time she gets home, the smell of alcohol will be off of me. Wow. So, okay. I mean, we're dedicated <laughs> to yeah. to making these things happen. But yeah, the, the kids ultimately are the ones that remember this stuff Mm -hmm. and just because my wife wasn't there and i think i'm getting away with something like the kids kids remember that stuff and uh when shit gets at its worst so like for you that was your tipping point like i I, you know was unconscious on my bed and paramedics and police were coming in and my Mm -hmm. son had to see that shit Mm -hmm. it's like where i think i'm getting away with something not thinking of what the worst case scenario could be right it's it's fucking brutal man it is and there were a lot of moments like that for me like because okay before we like started recording remember i was like i lived on the reservation for six years and then we would frequent a lot oh so we would go oh so is that why you were going back was for your dad well we were going back to see family um so when we would go though of course like everyone wanted to go to the casino so oh. my um, two cousins, or I guess my uncles, and I would stay home. And my grandma, my mom, and my dad would go out to the casinos. There was one night that my dad never wanted to, like, just go home. Like, he would always just, like, try to push it farther and farther. Mm-hmm. Um, So that was always a struggle. And then one night... Everyone came home, but then he was, like, laying in the driveway. And, like, it was a gravel driveway. And it was, like, he was... When I looked at him, he was face down. But then after a while, I looked out again, and he was on his back, just, like, laying there. Then after, I don't know, like, 15 minutes, I, like, went out again to see where he was, and he was gone. And I was, like, okay, like, where did he go? And then I was just, like, so used to it, though. Like, I would just go to bed. Like, he'll figure it out. I mean, it's the res, too. Like, he knows everyone here. So, mm-hmm. like, anyone would give him a ride. 
What is the, the population like on reservations? You know, I'm not sure because after the boom, like the oil boom, oh oh, it um grew like exponentially. Mm. Like a lot of people live there now. But yeah, I mean, you once you're like a local and like you're, I don't know, my family's just kind of like known on the res just because of my grandpa Milk or my grandpa Brian, um, and my other grandpa too, but. Yeah, we're just, like, known in the community. Like, my dad now is, like, he's been clean for a long time. Like, his new wife is really, really good for him. And they are engaged, like, in ceremony together and, like, cultural traditions and stuff like that. So they're really, they're healthy. It's good. So, like, it's not like he did all these horrible fucked up things and now he's like not a good person <laughs> he's a really good person <laughs> well i mean i i can't believe i didn't think of it about this before but like when you were talking about how on reservation somebody has to relocate for certain mm-hmm. professions addiction like counseling is already so sparse like as it is like mm-hmm. you can't stroll into the er and be like i need an addiction counselor stat like it's already so tough. Each person has to find a, like the amount of recommendations that I got, like no, no one doctor could like give me X, Y, Z answers. Right. Right. So it would go from doctor to psychologist or no doctor to therapist, to psychologist, to uh, addiction counselor. <laughs> and then to, somebody at a rehab facility like it's there's so many fucking chains Mm -hmm. that you have to get through add on the fact that people have to relocate just to do something like that that's it makes so much more sense because i know addiction statistics for reservations are like really high which fucking blows right and it's not even alcohol either it's like right now um is it pronounced fentanyl or is it oh fentanyl. fentanyl yep um, I've heard different pronunciations. I don't know. Uh, most people pronounce it fucking horrible, but you could say fentanyl if you want to. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, that's like raging and rampant on our reservation right now. Um, there's somebody in this neighborhood who was a dealer and two kids died because of them. Fucking scary. Children? Uh, yeah, they were like 16, 17. Oh my God, what? Yeah, it's bad. Like, but I'm sorry, please. No, I just, no, with it's fentanyl, okay. I, have, like, I used to joke about fentanyl, but like the more that I learn about it, like it's terrifying. It is terrifying. There's a lot of like ODs yeah. that happen like almost every day for it um, on our res, but um, I'm not sure what my my dad did to just like get clean and stay clean um i want to say because like it's different for everyone like you were talking about like rehab facilities and stuff like that well now i feel like a lot of addiction um counselors i guess you could call them are trying to like find culturally competent ways Mm. for people to like get clean and stay clean for natives that could be you know going to ceremonies or i'm not sure you know what that could look like Mm -hmm. but i feel like it's kind of cultural competency is like starting to be in i guess like ingrained into integrated into yeah yeah, integrated into like even 
seeing your counselor and stuff like that to like I don't know. That's it's something that like helps people. It's it's interesting. It also kind of scares me because like the Mormon religion when mm. the opiate epidemic kind of started, they thought that they could handle it in-house. And when you put like at least like so I'm an atheist so I'm a little biased, but when you put an eternal consequence on letting somebody down for a fault of yours, mm -hmm. the amount of shame that like is coupled with the already sh existing shame of addiction, like m my brain just always has like all of these these red flags that I'm like, no, we should be looking at how to shed as much shame as possible because there's a scientific reason as to why the chemicals in your brain operate the way that they do towards mm -hmm. addiction. There's genetics. There's all these things. Like I, I, I wish that people would attack the science part of it first mm -hmm. because sobriety isn't like, it's not like you're magically an amazing person. Once you're sober, like you still might be a piece of shit. Right. <laughs> there's all kinds of other work that you got to do after you get sober. Mm -hmm. to, like to me. So I don't know. There's all of these, I've learned a lot in the in the two years of of going through this shit, and I just, yeah, that's that's where my brain goes. But that's super interesting because for people who have been disconnected, I feel like once they get sober, mm -hmm. they go, oh, "What do I do?" And that's why there's so many relapses. Like the success rate is like five to seven percent of people <laughs> who don't relapse. It's crazy. Like, that's such a low, low yeah, number. Yeah, like, talk about discouraging to, like, people oh who God. are trying to be sober. Yeah. I'll wake up from a dream where I drank or something and be like, ah. Oh, fuck. It's scary because you're, like, in the back of my head, like, I know how common it is. Mm -hmm. And it, I, I feel like a lot of it is because once they're sober, they don't know what to do with themselves. So to have something like that, to have community to go to, to have... Um, you know, to find purpose, I think is like mm -hmm. super important. Sorry, Hunter's like texting me. I was gonna say, is there <laughs> any way of? There is. <laughs> but I'm sorry. So no, yeah, I'm sorry. The uh, the the integration stuff that you were talking about. Yeah. So did it? Did your dad seem to get more involved in the like heritage stuff and? You know. I am not sure what, because I didn't talk to him for like seven years. Wow. Seven years, yeah. Wow, that is wild. Yeah, so I stopped, because, okay, so my grandpa got diagnosed with cancer in like February of 2014, and I was still kind of talking to him then, but then shortly after um, they split and stuff like that, he met another woman and her name is my mom's name and it was just like super weird for me like like imagine me like adolescent 13 kind of like going through like going through major trauma don't have the resources to like help me cope and stuff like that and then my dad like tells me that they were getting married on valentine's day in February after they split up in like november of 2012 holy smokes yeah and then like they're getting married and I was, he wanted me to be there. And I was like, what do you not understand about like 
how the brain works. You know, like what the fuck? Do you so, know why he wanted you there? Like on a subconscious level? No. So, um, like especially common in addicts, but like people who recognize that a like a fairly major event happened when they think they, they equate being able to get married. Oh, I'm doing better. Mm-hmm. So the people who are close to me should forgive me. Right. So if you were to say, yeah, I'll go, that's a step where they get to shed some of this shame that they feel. Mm-hmm. Not a good thing, Mm-mm. obviously, but that's interesting though. But yeah, that's we're we're constantly looking for. It's one of the most common questions for for addicts in particular is like, when will my family forgive me? Mm. When will you know I be able to stop feeling so guilty? And mm-hmm. fortunately, it could be fucking never. But right. so that's why you got to get right with yourself. The stuff that you were talking about before, which I think is super cool. Sorry. No, 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 no. It's okay. <laughs> I no, you're making like all oh, my little gears turn, but um. So yeah, I didn't I didn't end up going, but my grandpa was diagnosed with cancer and it was kind of like an up and down hill and like was, the, was this on your mom's side? Yeah, so this is like my step grandpa, my okay. my white grandma. <laughs> <laughs> um and then in August he finally uh, passed away. So then my dad ended up coming to the funeral because I mean there was like years and years of history there. Oh, I mean sure. like you know, just to show respect. Which I didn't, I mean, I didn't think anything of it. But then I remembered, like, I'm not going to, like, give him the satisfaction of, like, oh, my gosh, thank you so much for being here, you know? So, like, I hardly even, I acknowledged that he was here or there. And then I just, like, was with my mom and my grandma, just, like, my mom's side of the family, like, the whole time. I love that. I, I tell people all the time, people come on here and they'll do, like, the whole... They were doing the best they could, like, even though I give myself as an example is to like, you don't owe it to your parents to make up for the trauma that they caused you. Mm -hmm. And like to my kids, like, I don't know how they're going to handle or how they're going to process the type of person that I was when they get older. Mm -hmm. But it's it's not on them to make up for that Mm -hmm. for me. Right. To make you feel better. Yes, about it. exactly. If anything. So like whatever they need to cope and to get through that stuff. I am the one that should be there for that and like willing to do whatever it is that they need. And if that means they don't want to talk to me mm-hmm. or they don't, you know, there's. Yeah. I, so I appreciate that you had that mentality at that point, because I think that's huge. I I don't think that kids owe it to their parents to make excuses for them no and i found that out at a really really young age like really young age so after that like i really just he would like text me and call me and like all sorts of stuff but like it was weird though because like he wanted me to like be involved or like just like hang out with him and his new wife like she's never had a daughter before she has three boys and you know, like, she wants to take you to Sephora. I told her that you really like makeup. And I was just like, <laughs> she's trying to be my mom? Like, no. Like, so then I just kind of like one day, like, he texted me this really long paragraph. And I texted him back and I was like, I think you have the wrong number. Oh, 
new number who it is. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. One second. I know, but my wife started vacuuming for some reason. How long have you guys been married? 15 years. We got married when we were 19. Wow, youngsters. Yoth. Very lucky that we're still together. That's another crazy thing is like you I mean, I I meet all of these kids who um watched all of this gnarly shit go down and I know that at least my son unfortunately is privy to a couple of occasions that were I mean not, nothing physically traumatic but just mentally watching your parents act in a certain way or um treat each other a certain way mm-hmm. is like you know we we talked about love and all of these things so much and then here we are screaming at each other or t- you know somebody throwing divorce around like all of this wild shit like mm-hmm. yeah for as young as we were and to still be together now like it's obviously it's work but luck too because the most wonderful people in the world get divorced and right. here i am with crocs and socks and i'm still married <laughs> and a bun <laughs> and a bun ah <laughs> oh. um what were we talking about before i can't even i know the remember. vacuum threw me off and oh let's goodness. do this yeah so oh you uh you were talking about your dad and that goes back to that whole like it it's an opportunity for him to impress both of you at the same time Mm -hmm. so to him it's like i can show you that i do have a relationship with my daughter and then for you it's like he can be like look at all this stuff that Mm -hmm. i've got going on now and Mm -hmm. how how much better your dad is right and she was good for him in the sense that like she's also an influence in the community like she was tied to the culture like and i think that he wanted to like because before he was I don't want to say, like, opposed to it, but just, like, not, like, interested. Like, he just didn't believe in certain things. Like, because his previous wife was, like, before my mom, she was Jehovah's Witness. Yeah. Yeah. That's fucking weird, dude. (sighs) Um, So he was Jehovah's Witness for a long time. We went to Kingdom Hall a couple of times. I just thought it was, like, like, religion in general. I just never, like, my, um... My biological grandfather, he was also very Christian, took me to church a couple times. I just, I never understood it. Like, it was just so, like, we're talking about, like, in a sense, fictional people here. Yeah. Like, we nobody knows what they look like. And they change <laughs> based on who you ask. Yeah. So, like. An entire religion carves and makes these statues out of somebody who 100% was not a white guy. Mm-hmm. But. We st- and if you ask anybody, right? Like I've asked Christians before, and they're like, "Well, yeah, no, he probably was not a white guy." Well, then why are you guys? Why? Why, why is are he we still? still a white guy? Yeah, like why are we still like continuing this narrative? It's crazy. But um, so yeah, I think they both kind of just were really good for each other. She was sober. She had three kids, and yeah, then I just kind of like stopped talking to him. Like, but then he would like call my mom about like you know tax things or whatever because they were together for so long so like oh, sure. you still have to like talk about oh yeah business yeah, yeah. things or yep. whatever you know just stuff like that 
But then, he, of course, he would, like, ask me, like, what I was doing. Um, but then it wasn't until recently that I, like, started talking to him more. I was taking um, Dakota language class at the University of Minnesota. Ooh. Yeah, it was really, really good, really cool. Learned a lot. But my professor was, like, a douchebag. <laughs> and he... We got to the section of, like, where we're talking about where we come from and who we are. Wait, is he Native himself? Or? Yeah. Okay. I was going to say, if it was a white guy teaching that class. No. <laughs> <laughs> so I asked him how to say um, Mandan, Hidatsa, and Arikara. And he was like, oh, you don't want to be from there. And I was like, okay, well, I mean, I am. So could you just shut your big fat fucking trap and just tell me how to say it? Like, I was just like, I was like thrown off. But now I'm just like, I got all this rage. and um he did that a couple of times it was just like so embarrassing because it was like in front of the whole class and like there was a bunch of white people in that class too so i was like why aren't you like antagonizing these white kids like me a native woman you say you're saying that like you're all traditional and like you teach your kids native this like native language and blah 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 so I, told, I called my dad one day. I was just crying. And I was like, I don't know who to talk to about this other than my dad. Mm-hmm. And so I called him and he like immediately answered. And I was just like crying. And he was like, where are you? And I was like, I'm at home. And he was like, are you safe? And I was like, yeah, I'm fine. But like, I just don't know what to do. And so I like told him this whole story. And then after that, it was just kind of like he would um, text me every so often. And like we slowly started to like integrate more conversation into like each other's lives with each Mm -hmm. other and then he finally was like one day it was like i looked up your professor on facebook like he looks like he's um a fake indian or something like that like (laughs) just like funny shit like that and then his wife um she's dakota too and he was like or she was like telling me about how if he's so traditional, he shouldn't be talking to women like this and young generation stuff like that. Um, so they like really supported me in that in that time of like I was kind of having like this like not like identity crisis, but I was like I'm not tied to anything in my culture, and this is what I decided for myself. Like, kind of go outside of the box because I never I was never um, immersed in any mm. type of my culture before I took that class. And I'm not Dakota at all. But my dad says I am, so I'm not. <laughs> I don't even fucking know. So yeah, I was just like, I never like experienced racism from someone that looked like me. And so it was like just really heart-wrenching, I guess. Yeah. And um, I'm curious if like because it, the consequences for... And I mean, the 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 mental part of, you know, he went to school for this. Right. So his he knows the history like in and out of how we got here. Mm -hmm. And then each class is predominantly white kids. Mm -hmm. The consequence for him going harder on the white kids. I'm curious, like in his mind, if he has that like fear like these these are the guys these are the guys that committed this genocide mm-hmm. and if i like push them too hard 
the consequences for me afterwards like if it affects my job because this white kid went to the the white dean and the, you know what i mean right, like that chain exactly. of command to be like so then he sees you and he's got all of this aggression mm-hmm. that he hasn't been able to let out and he's like what are you gonna do right because you're the same as me we can't do anything right and see and i didn't and i my mom like was trying to push me to like email the president and just email like but it was the University of Minnesota. Like, I was just, like, another number. Like, I just felt like mm. I was just, like, I don't know. I didn't feel like I do at St. Cloud State, for example. So, um, yeah. Now my dad and I, we talk every so often. I mean, it's... What I'm, does it feel like I'm now? trying to make the best of it. Just because, <laughs> like, well, it's it feels good because, like... After that conversation, I, like, called my mom and I was, like, crying because I was, like, I feel like I missed out on so much because my dad told me, like, he, there was something wrong with his heart where the blood wasn't pumping out or something like that. And so he was going to have to have heart surgery. Oof. But then he went to ceremony and they were, like, because that ceremony, when someone has ceremony for you, it's not necessarily, like, always a good thing. So, like, you either like get doctored at the ceremony so like that time he was getting doctored of like a medicine man comes in and they have you know whatever that's like sacred knowledge so like it's not even like i know what there's no pamphlet for no no it's just like (laughs) you're either with it or you're not what to expect when you're ceremonying nothing (laughs) (laughs) um so then he went back to the doctor after ceremony and um he was fine. They couldn't figure out what was wrong with his heart. He was fine, you know, lived went on with his life and whatever. So then I like just kind of had had this like epiphany of like what if he actually did like pass away or something and I was just like sad because now I'm like this adult who has kind of like dealt with this trauma or like I don't think I've dealt with it fully. But I think I can like push it off enough to where it like doesn't affect like how I relate to him. There's enough coping mechanisms in place to where you can. Yeah. Like that's um, w- when I was in treatment, mm-hmm. um, like I had a massive support team. Right. Mm-hmm. And they were all holding back their shit while I was going through mine. And mm-hmm. eventually I was I started to say like, I know this isn't easy for you guys. Like it's one thing for me, I'm cut off from the world and there's all this stuff, but it's okay to start letting me know certain things and to start. So like, it's similar in that, like you're kind of opening the valve a little bit at a time Mm -hmm. to be like, I'll, I'll take in what I can, but I still kind of want to have, you know, a little bit of separation. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming. Right. And that's kind of what it is. Is like, before he didn't have any boundaries really mm. and now that i feel like now that i'm an adult i can set those boundaries and assert them too because i felt like i i felt like i couldn't when i was a kid i mean like oh yeah i was you know how every kid is like scared of their dad but then like not scared of their mom that was kind of <laughs> the case that's unless so maybe funny. it's the opposite in this house really but i'm i mean i'm basically a mom so <laughs> <laughs> um you want to do another one uh, push this. there we yes, go yes mommy chris 
<laughs> I mean, so, you know, there's that that slow progression. Um, do you know uh, his stepkids? Yeah, we... So, in December, I went down to Shakopee because he has family, like extended family down there. Um, and they have a sweat lodge in their backyard. Ooh. So, and um, I went and got my official name (gasps) yeah so it's like a little naming ceremony in december that we had and they came um his stepkids casein and hunter are their names and it's weird because i have so many hunters in my life like (laughs) it's very prevalent it's a common name though yeah there's a lot of them especially in the midwest oh yeah yeah hunters brayden a lot of that stuff cole Coal. Ah, there's so many coal. Um, I say that and I'm a Chris and there's like a, a billion. billion of us. It's a national thing. <laughs> That's like a nationwide thing. But um, yeah, I met them. They're nice. They're cool. I mean, we're like, I think Hunter's a little younger than me. Kaysen's older than me. Um, But yeah, uh, she had another kid. He was my age and he passed away though. Like, Oh, no. I can't remember how old he was. He was young. I mean, we were the same age, so I think he was like 14 when he passed away or 15. One of the ages. But yeah, he was, he, I'm not sure how he passed away. I forgot. But yeah, he just wasn't in good health. Wow. Yeah. So. Man, I, I, so now on top of that, like, cause after, he so like were you guys the same age yes we were very close in age i mean like out of the three brothers we were like the same yeah i wonder if your dad was trying to like fill a hole for her too Mm -hmm. to which is the most depressing thing ever when somebody latches on to you because of a loss like that feeling it's like that's a lot of responsibility right now. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know if I'm ready for that. Especially when you're already, like, dealing with your own, yeah. like, stuff. That's wild. Yeah. But I, I was resistant. I mean, I didn't. I kind of, and I was just fed up at the same time, too. Like, I just didn't want to. Yeah. So. But the, okay, so the sweat lodge thing. So I guess I didn't realize what was tied to the sweat lodge thing. Yeah. So basically a sweat lodge is like this. He, Kaysen explained how it was made, but there's like a specific way, a specific amount of numbers or whatever, of branches that you use. Oh. But, um, so you go in there and you sweat and there's like rocks in the middle and Kaysen takes water and puts it on the hot rocks because you basically just start a fire and then you put the hot coal in there. Okay. And then, I think it's hot rocks. I don't think it's coal. Anyways. Um. You do that every so often, and you pray, you sing, um, and you go around, and you each kind of just talk about what you want to pray for in the sweat lodge. Mm. Um, And it's just basically, like, he kind of explained it as, like, you're coming in, this is, like, the womb of Mother Earth, and then you're coming out, and you're just kind of, like, reborn again. So just kind of, like, ask whatever you need to, like, get off your chest and, like, pray for yourself or for your family members or anything. I mean, you just like ask creator to nourish you in any way that you feel like you need that. 
So we did that, and then we went inside, and he, um, they're Dakota, so he, he gave me my name in Dakota language. Champa Ishtawi. I think that's what it is in Dakota. But in my language, it's Madu Adadui Wadu Ishta. Yeah. So you had to learn it both ways? Um, I took Dakota, so it wasn't that hard. Oh, like, oh okay. It wasn't that hard to learn. But in Arikara, or no, Hadatsa, that's, it was hard. Like, I remember my dad would, like, send me voice memos, and I would just, like, listen and listen and listen, like, word by word. Because you can't just, like, because the way it's spelled, it, like... <laughs> There's no way that you can like make that noise when you see it like written down. Like hmm. it's all oral. So, but yeah, that was a really good experience. My mom came. Um, yeah, it was really good. It was. It felt like old times, but it was like a better version. Yeah. Because we were like around good people too. Like Richard and Cindy were the hosts, and. They're just really good. Like, they, Richard was like, you can call me grandpa. And Cindy was like, just call me grandma. And we're friends on Facebook. And like, <laughs> yeah, they're just really sweet. Um, That's another weird thing that like trips me up. Every time you say like a, a white sounding name, <laughs> like that's another insane part of like, when you meet a native person, they shouldn't be like, hi, I'm Robert. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so that's like an a, like an instant example of being like, oh, my guys did this to you. Yep. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't be a Robert. <laughs> you should be Richard. <laughs> but yeah. So, okay. So like, is there a certain age that you have to be to do sweat lodge or? So I think you can sweat. I'm not sure the age. But I think it's. Maybe babies shouldn't. I mean, I'm not, I'm not an expert on that shit. <laughs> but I never. I think the last time I sweat, it was years and years and years ago. And then when I went to ceremony the one time, I we were in a teepee and my mom and dad were sitting next to each other, and I slept behind them. <laughs> so I didn't remember really anything from ceremony. That's so awesome. I love shit like that. <laughs> Like, or like at basketball games, I would do the same thing, sleep in the bleachers. I didn't give a shit about basketball. Well, fuck basketball. Fuck the Super Bowl, Super Bowls today. I forgot. I was trying to go to brunch, and then I was like, I don't want to be around anybody. And it sucks because sometimes my birthday, our birthdays, sometimes yes. land on Super Bowl Sunday. That's right. I forgot to Dude, mention we have the same birthday. That's insane. I've never met anyone. You know what's weird? Like huh. the next week, like five people were like my dad's birthday is that day or my i was like what well okay i guess i'm a big fat liar because i actually <laughs> my um my great grandma's birthday is on february 3rd and my great grandpa's birthday did you know that um our birthday is considered the day the music died what have you ever heard that song uh-uh. um or like american the american pie song Oh Mama, yeah, yeah. The day the music died. Okay, so uh, Buddy Holly and Richie Valentine are these old musicians that died in a plane crash, and they were like considered like they were going to be like the most influential 
musicians of all time. Mm-hmm. And I think it went down to like a coin flip. I forget who was supposed to go on the plane, but Richie, uh, one of them lost the coin toss and then the other was like, I'll go with you on the plane. It's fine. And boom. They died on that day. They died. It did. They died on that day so we could be here. Exactly. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Fuck yeah. So we could sing that same song mm-hmm. over and over. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's so many things that I want to know, like about culture and and, and these things, mm-hmm. and it's I'm I'm starting to learn that that's not on you to teach me that stuff. No, but I'm willing, <laughs> <laughs> which is dope. But like, there's yeah, I I like I, I don't know people. Especially, I feel like in the Midwest, they don't want to be wrong because they associate being wrong with being guilty. Mm. And it's like, it's fine being wrong. It's fine to not know. Yeah, it's fine. Exactly. It's fine to not know these things. Like, to pretend that you're in on some inner circle thing or, like, to reinterpret it into some other thing. Mm. Like That happens a lot. I'm not racist. I work with a black guy. Like, (laughs) Oh, God. That's like the classic or like <laughs> that's like the equivalent of saying like I can say the N word because my my black friend told me that I could. I or my shit. boyfriend. I hear that yeah, all the time. My boyfriend. When it's I always hear the boyfriend. A skinny white girl say the N word. It is the most terrifying. Does it thing. happen quite a lot at the shop? No, not? not at the shop. No. Oh, OK. I mean, there was a time because it was owned. But I don't want to get into that. It was owned by somebody else before. Okay. <laughs> but um, like when I was growing up, mm-hmm. you couldn't like put somebody on blast. So there was you things can't, like call out. You know what I mean? Like Internet wise, it wasn't as easy to like there was like bloggers, but reading. Come mm-hmm. on. Um, I so people could say shit and there wasn't like you had to have an actual camera to record what the fuck was going on. So people just say whatever the fuck they wanted. Like, and especially when I moved here. So, uh, I was in Oregon until I was 13. Oh. And then we moved here and the passive aggressive racism and ignorance and just the most jarring shit. Like they're, <laughs> I hate to say it, but like Midwest's, um, viewpoint on, uh, mentally challenged or uh, handicapped, like it was all just horrible. Mm-hmm. My my first year here, I saw a kid pin some somebody who um, they were on the spectrum and they had a muscular thing going on, so they walked a little different, talked a little different, and this kid had wedged him in between a door and a frame, and I was just like. This is insane. Another kid uh, tried to get a petition to get a family who had two kids with Down syndrome to move out of their neighborhood. Oh, my God. Like, so just fucking insane. Which, if that shit happened now or even five years ago, there's no way that that would stand. I feel like there's a huge huge (laughs) mental health crisis right now. Oh, my God. And even Finn... Finn has told me like the racism here is way worse than it was in Alabama. And I'm like, 
I don't know how much I really believe that. <laughs> because, you know, like, I mean, yeah, passive aggressive racism is like, it's like microaggressions. So, I mean, I would rather take microaggressions over like blatant racism. Mm. Well, with St. Cloud, though, like, there's this weird, like, past to be racist towards Somalis mm-hmm. because, so because black people will say shitty things about Somalis, they then, like, white people will then think, like, oh, we're on the same team, mm-hmm. so we can both be shitty. And it, so, like, I, I've seen that a lot, mm-hmm. like, where they, like, people will team up. It's, but it's still racism. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not just because there's somebody who agrees with you doesn't mean that, like, it's a good thing. Like, you're, you both have a horrible viewpoint on a disenfranchised, like, culture. Like, they, there's, <laughs> well, yeah. Bad. And, like, Somali people don't necessarily want to be here either. No. I mean, like, a lot of them are refugees. So, Most like, most of them. Well, it's different. Like, so when I came when they here, first came yes, here, yes, yes, exactly. So like when I first moved here, there was that massive migration, mm-hmm. right? Like, so at one point we had the most Somalis outside of Somalia mm-hmm. and it's insane. The thought was, Oh, Minnesota nice. Like maybe, maybe that'll be the best place for us to go. Mm-hmm. And it turns out not so much. So, um, I remember like when I was younger, like thinking because I grew up with Spanish kids, right? And they didn't sound, most of them were Mexican and they didn't sound like they had like a cholo accent or Mm. any shit like that, right? Because generation after generations, it starts to change. And wherever you grow up, that's what you're going to sound like. Mm -hmm. Uh, Regional diction is some people call it. But I remember saying that, like, because people would constantly say, I can't understand them, accent's so thick, or this and that. It's like, one one more generation, mm-hmm. and these kids, you're not even going to be able to tell uh-uh. that they're Somali. And it, I remember watching it happen, being like, it's happening. You guys can't complain about that anymore. But right. they find another thing to complain mm-hmm. about. It's like... Even, like, my stepdad, when I moved here, because, like, we, Hunter and I lived in, like, one of those... Um. Oh, 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 oh. How dare you? Did you? Oh. Oh, did I break it? Oh no. <laughs> that would be fine. Um, we lived in one of those giant apartment complexes where there was like, like four hundred people in there at a time. Oh okay. So, of course, we had like Somali neighbors, and my stepdad when we were moving in, he was like, "Yeah, it's gonna." They have like a smell, and I'm like, not. No, (laughs) like, please, like we you're moving two people of color into an apartment and you're some white dude talking about a smell. You smell like you smell weird. Like, what are you talking about? Like and like slowly he stopped saying stuff like that. Or like he would be like one of those people that would be like, oh, that's gay. Oh, Oh. Oh, yeah. So that's so funny. But yeah, I mean, like, it's very common even still. Like, I think it's gotten yeah more like not like blatant but there's i i still get caught in it because i think that i have this pass so that i can say it ironically so because i'm saying 
that's gay to a certain person, they know that I'm making fun of homophobics. Hmm. So like it's this weird. So I still have to train, like catch myself to be like, just because I am like accepting and mm-hmm. an ally and all of these things, that doesn't mean that like the gay community was like, Chris, you're go. allowed to say those <laughs> yeah, things. Go for it. Okay. So I do. Okay. It's weird because like when Hunter and I went to Pride, one of our friends, Jake, he was wearing like all an all chain like. Oh, like that mesh. Yeah, but yeah, it wasn't yeah. like, it's not like mesh. It was literally like hoops, like chains. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So he's wearing that at Pride and we were in the hotel and he was like, do I just look like the biggest fag? <laughs> I was like, you do. <laughs> and so like, I don't know, there's like certain times where I think like, I don't know, when you're with those people and they ask you those things. It's funny. It's funny, but like. I'm not going to say it in like an all straight yes, exactly. environment. Like, So our producer for the other podcast is trans and gay. And we'll like, um, we'll, Alex and I will tell stories about how um, somebody in school called us. A fr- 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 and we'll do that. And she'll go, the word that they said or meant to say was. <laughs> so because she has the past she'll <laughs> so it's really funny when she, she does it <laughs> but it's it's still jarring like i have quite a few gay friends who throw the f-word around and i'm always like oh. i know me too <laughs> i'm like i don't know should i get tense or should i laugh uncomfortably exactly. like exactly yeah yeah <laughs> shit ah oh, man i'm back <gasps> big news What's that? Hunter and I just got a house. Yeah, that's fucking awesome. They accepted thine offer. Dude, that's great. Yeah, I'm super excited. Um, did they tell you when you guys can move in or anything? March 31st. <sighs> yeah. That is not proud at all. Uh-uh. Dude. Congrats. Thank you. So big announcement, listeners. Kayla is pregnant. Oh, God, no. No. (laughs) Abort mission. (laughs) All right. We've talked a lot about racism. Yes. Basically, white people are the devil. Basically, (laughs) walking Lucifer. Um, Excuse me. Lucifer is our friend here (laughs) because he just wants you to believe in yourself. You know, I love that. (laughs) I do. I love that message. It's a good message. I I love this because I like to think of Lucifer as a gay guy. And, like, he was just... Like God was like homophobic, and that's why he got cast out. And so, actually, when you go to hell, it's like you're just going to a big gay party. Exactly, it's like that <sighs> that brunch in, on Sundays in the cities. I forget drag what drag brunch. Yeah, the drag brunch. God. Every morning is drag brunch. That's there. an experience, right? Imagine like you go down to hell, and Lucifer's like, "Hello," and it's like constantly like <laughs> that perfect time between like ten and noon. Yes, like. Yeah, that's like the best time. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, dope, 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 dope. Um, now, uh, what did you go to school for? You said you went to the U of M? Yeah, so I transferred there, oh God. It was like uh, 2020, I think. I transferred there for like a semester just because I was like, I was quarantined. You know, I was just like getting really sick of like my routine in St. Cloud. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to see if it 
like going to the U of M would like change that. And I thought, too, oh, you were at St. Cloud first. Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. Wait. So let's rewind. Yep. So you go to school in, uh, do you do the SCSU? Yes. Okay. So I went there, started in the spring of 2018. I was 17. And I went to school. I don't even know what my major was at the time. I think it was just like general business or something. Okay. Like everyone goes to school for fucking business. But <laughs> then I went there for two semesters, I think. And then I'd found gender and women's studies. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, wow. All I'm of- so paranoid right now. Is there a red dot on the screen up there? I found words for all the things that I was experiencing. All of my, like, I I just felt, like, really validated. Like, gender and women's studies just was, like, it's kind of, like, critical race theory. But, okay. like, I don't know. It's, like, about feminism. Femini- feminism is just, like, a philosophy. And then there's, like, different types of feminism. Like, intersectional feminism, which I would probably, mm. I would probably say I'm an intersectional feminist. What does that mean? So it's basically looking at, so like, for example, my identities are, I am Native American, I'm a woman, I'm bisexual, I am able-bodied, I'm middle class, I would say, I mean, I don't know, Um, but it's how those, all of those identities intersect and how they place you in the world. Oh. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, like, seeing other people that way of, like, that's why I'm, like, always, like, super Oh, so, like, like the concept that you're more than one thing. It's not just, oh, okay, okay. And, like, how those identities are on top of you. And so that's why sometimes, like, it's harder for people to achieve things like voters' rights and stuff like that. Like, if you have a P.O. box or if you don't have a P.O. box, like, if you have an actual, like, street address. Um, So... Yeah. Anyway, um, I just really loved gender women studies. I loved my professor. Still love her. She's like one of the few white women that I'm just like want to live in her pocket. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So um, is it like a really long cardigan? No, it's not. But she has like (laughs) these like um, clip in. They're not clip in extensions, but she has like blonde hair and it's curly and it's like right here. And she's got. A blue, two blue, or blue and a purple, and then a blue and a purple on this side. And she's just got a cute little yeah. bob. And she's always wearing, like, cute jewelry. I don't know. She's just, like, my kind of people. But, like, and then she does, like, yoga. She's, like, a 500-hour yoga-trained instructor. Ah. Like, really into, like, somatics and stuff like that. So, like. like so her vape is sage-flavored? Yes. <laughs> She like burns incense and she's like walking around, get your feet wet, you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, she's awesome. And then I decided decided that I wanted to do gender women studies. So I did that. I'm pretty much done with that degree. I just have to do the research methods portion of it. Mm. Um, but then I was like, okay, I want to do, I want to see what the U of M has going on. So I transferred there. So this, you were saying that that's when the pandemic started, you, mm-hmm. okay. So like it, pandemic started in like March, 2020. And then I finished out that semester of school and then the uh, summer months, I was kind of like thinking about U of M and then like right 
before registration time, I transferred just real quick and did the fall at the U of M. And I took like gender in the Islamic world, which was really interesting. Whoa. But it was really confusing, dude. Like I needed a whole lot of different context to be able to be like where these people were. Like to you know what, what I mean? Like it's jarring. It is. Like and I don't know a whole lot about like Islam or like anything like that. So I was just like I have a, a friend really from Iraq and she uh, was a photographer and like did all kinds of like artsy like you would think that she was like a basic white girl like when mm. you looked at the photos because at the time it was like really trendy stuff but for her very like out of the box and then um, once all of the like you know Trump comes in and all of the fucking racism ramped up. She was like, I'm good. Fuck stereotypes. Like, I'm going back to Iraq. Mm -hmm. And it was like, whoa. At that time, like, it was very scary to go back to the Middle East. Mm -hmm. And she became a police officer. And now she's like a power lifter. Like, just absolute badass. And all of this while wearing a hijab. Right? (sighs) So, it's like, she, like, is trying to break all of these stupid stereotypes that like women can't do anything mm-hmm. and they're subjected to all this shit um, because she's just an absolute badass now. Like she could absolutely beat the shit out of me. Like, I love that. <laughs> With her hijab on. Exactly. Yeah. And she was like, so like untouched. Yeah. So she didn't sacrifice anything and is continuing to do all of these amazing things. And I think shit like that is super important because when you said that, my brain immediately goes to like, oh, they're not allowed to drive and they're not allowed to do this. Like, right, was... yeah. But there's also men that hold hands. So like there's a lot that I don't fucking understand about that mm-hmm. stuff. I definitely like was, I don't want to say like put in my place, but it was, I felt like a true American in that class. Like Interesting. Don't know shit about <laughs> shit. You know, like don't know shit about like what's going on yeah. outside of our own little tiny bubble so it really made me like dive into especially because i'm like in that community of like there's a fine mix of white people but then a larger population of like somali people like muslim people so like i was i forced myself to learn more just because like and then i was like well maybe i should like reach out to some people that i know that could give me more information and i was like but then when someone does that to me I'm like, fuck out of here. Like, <laughs> let me call my native. Friend. Yeah, let me call my like one eight hundred. Ask a native. Like, <laughs> fuck. Ah. There's feathers in the one eight hundred number for some reason. Yeah, <laughs> we just thought that it would look really cute. <laughs> um. Yeah, that's super interesting. So, like, so what do you feel you gained from that? Like, perspectively. I feel like I was able to better understand i don't want to say those people i hate saying like those people well, but but like the negative connotation with those people is usually some asshole is saying mm-hmm. i don't want to associate with those people mm-hmm. like when you say you could say that culture that culture exactly there's language matters and that's one thing i've really been the women's center has really taught me is like language ah. matters 
because I like looked at it with curiosity instead of like looking at it and trying to like use my like Western feminism lens mm-hmm. to look at everything. Um, the avoiding confirmation bias. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I would say I need to probably learn more, obviously, as with all things. Um, and maybe just like immerse myself with more people um, of that culture. Um, I met this girl. She is like 14. And she's Muslim. And I met her at the gym. And she, her arm, I can't remember what happened with her arm, but she's, one arm is disabled. Mm. And um, my boyfriend works at the gym. And he was working one day at the desk. And I was just, like, standing there talking to him. And he was, like, telling her what machines she could use because she was trying to do, like, arm workouts. Okay. And he didn't realize that, like, her arm was disabled. And so she was, he was like, yeah, you could just go in the other room and they have like a bunch of like arm machines or whatever. And she was like, okay. And then she like kind of like was walking away slowly. I was like, do you want me to just show you? And she was like, yeah. And then I started showing her and, and then we went up to this one machine and I was like demonstrating and she was like, do you need two working arms to do this? And I was like fucking dumbass like you dumb bitch and then i was like you do do you not have two working arms and she's like nope and i was like okay we can fix that that's fine like we can work with it you fixed her arm (laughs) i doctored it um quick sweat lodge and yeah quick quick one two um but yeah so then walked around the gym together. And then there was at one point, like, she wanted to use the squat machine or something. And there was these this group of, like, boys using the one next to it. And I was like, well, why don't we just go to the next one? I'm not working out in front of them. I was like, well, why not? And she was like, brown boys are so judgmental. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, that's fine. Interesting. We don't, we don't have to. I mean, like, whatever. But it just, like, made me, like... Because I didn't know if they were, like, from, I don't know, I didn't know if they were, like, Pakistani or, like, what their ethnicity was. Um, But I was just, like, oh, like, see, I am a brown person and I would have went up and, like, started working out in front of them if I really wanted to. You know what I mean? I just, like, don't have that experience. Like, Mm -hmm. and so it made me think, like, wow, okay, like. She's when she was like wearing her hijab, she was dressed modest at the gym still. Mm. And so I was just like, oh, checking myself again, like for the second time within the hour. But I I don't mind doing that because like I want people to do the same thing for me. Like the other day in my staff meeting and my coworkers are probably going to listen to this. So (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, one of my coworkers, the question was. if you could be an animal today, what would you be? And I can't even remember what she said, but she was like, it's my spirit animal. And Finn was sitting next to me, like right here. And I just looked at Finn. And, I was just like, <laughs> and he didn't look at me. But then I, my um, supervisor is kind of sitting where you are. And I looked at her after I looked at Finn. And I was just like, and I like went back to my agenda and I started scribbling. <laughs> And then I had a meeting with my supervisor, like, right after we have, like, a bi-weekly catch-up meeting to talk about projects and stuff like that. 
So she was like, I just wanted to address the racism in today's staff meeting. And I was like, oh, cool. Yeah. I mean, we move. Like, <laughs> fuck. I'm used to it. Like, I mean, whatever. People say that shit all the time. Spirit animal. I mean. It's interesting because I, I guess I didn't realize that it was specific to one culture. Mm-hmm. Because I've heard it in, like, Norse mythology oh. and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. it's it's weird, like, the parallels that you see in certain cultures. Mm-hmm. Like the the um like the whole sweat lodge thing Mm -hmm. like there's a bunch of different cultures that like for centuries have been doing this stuff and it's so fascinating to be like i wonder what like on a biological level that we recognized that when we dehydrate ourselves and push ourselves to these limits what is it that happens where we have these like self-discoveries or Mm -hmm. things like that but in that instance, like if the only example, like I have that knowledge, so it's a little different, but I'm also not throwing spirit animal around really because it's weird. Right. Like I I love red pandas, but I just want them to like form a pillow so that I can sleep on them. Right. Like... You don't want to like be them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But the like it's I don't know. It's it's. Yeah, it's weird. It's and the the thing that you posted on your story, I took a screenshot of it and was like zooming in and trying to figure out what the cultural appropriation aspect. Oh, of was. that av what is it aviator nation or whatever yeah. that. So, um, was it the shoes? If, if you go, yes, if you go on their page, they that brand uses like a teepee in all of their advertisements. Mm. They use like Serapi blankets. They use moccasins and they don't like, it's one thing to be a white brand and use those things, but like put in your description that like where you got them, like you don't sell them or I don't know. Like it's just like, glamorizing native culture without holding yourself accountable and then profiting off of the look of it. Yeah. Like it's, that's always what the dominant culture does is like just for the look of things Yeah, to look cultured. But when it's actually time to be cultured, like silence, everyone runs. Oh yeah. So like if you ask them a question, uh, so do you know who Phil Jackson is? So he was the coach of the Chicago bulls and he was upset or he's still alive. So he's still obsessed with native culture, but he never wore anything like you would never know that he was into that stuff. I guess, unless you went to his home, Mm -hmm. he had stuff there. But so like he knew everything about, um, I think it was the Dakotas Mm -hmm. and he like immersed himself in all these things. And, ways that you can you know connect with yourself it's just fascinating that like he was like the perfect example of like he loves the culture and uh immersed himself without taking advantage of Mm -hmm. it or even flaunting it yeah exactly yeah like he didn't bring like a drum or some weird shit to a basketball game he would just be like this is what i've learned i think it would help you in Mm -hmm. this aspect and like so yeah, it was almost like like he had 
like joined a religion without like joining a religion Mm -hmm. because I'm assuming like a white person couldn't jump in on a sweat lodge or ceremony or stuff like that. You kind of have to not like you have to like be in with whoever that's you're you're gonna be going with. Like So like a significant other or it could be a significant other, it could be your best friend. I oh, mean okay. like if Hunter was willing to go to a sweat lodge, I'd be like, Oh my god, yeah, let's go. Why not? I mean it it just feels good to just I mean, it's kind of like a big sauna in a sense, but yeah. it's like more like spiritual than that. Um but there's a difference. I think that's the like kind of where the line is between like cultural appreciation and cultural appropriation. Yeah. When you're not like holding yourself accountable for like who's the one that like not like came up with like this stuff, but like who this affects. And if you're part of the dominant culture and you're going to like play pretend that you love the look of native things, but then you're not going to do anything for that community or you're not going to like promote that artist's work then don't even bother you know like don't even like bother buying it then because like that that um page they i like went back to look to see if they like wrote anything in their description and one of them they put um that they bought the moccasins at santa fe indian market oh okay um arizona or no new mexico I was going to say, they look like, I have a shitload of cousins from Mm -hmm. Arizona, and those girls looked like my cousins, and I was like, "Uh uh-oh. Yeah. Do I need to, but they're Hispanic, so I don't Mm -hmm. know, there's so many, like, weird, like, I don't want to say loopholes, but, like, similarities that I feel like generations go by, and the descendants of said generations can't tell the difference between cultures Mm -hmm. because of uh, the americanization of all of this shit it gets all muddied Mm -hmm. so it looks like this is a hispanic thing so i'm gonna don this thing Mm -hmm. um and another like weird curveball that gets thrown into all of this is certain asian cultures love when white people don this stuff so like it's really weird. Asian Americans don't like it because they see what it represents. Right. But like Chinese culture, Japanese culture, there are these these big things where like they love it when you like indulge and go. I guess. So maybe that's different because you're in that country mm-hmm. and you're with the actual culture itself. If you bring it home and, and you're wearing a kimono, mm-hmm. okay. I It's weird to say it out loud and now it makes no, sense. No, no, yeah. I'm just like, because I'm following too and I'm like, yes. Because, okay, you know Flea from Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yes, yes. He was at our powwow. We have oh. an annual powwow, yeah. And um, Did he bring methamphetamines? No. <laughs> Fuck, he might have. I don't even know. But I will find the post because it was, I'll send it to you because it's really cool. He, one of his friends, I think his name is Trey White Cloud. He uh, lended Flea his regalia to wear at the powwow and he danced. And it wasn't even like a big thing. He didn't like announce that he was going to go or whatever. Like 
And the way that he, like, wrote this, like, um, Instagram caption, it really encapsulated, like, a good ally. And, like, he's really appreciating, like, the sacredness of, like, the drum and just, like, all being there. It's like an annual powwow, so it's, like, a thing, a huge thing for, like, our community. It's just, like, a good healing type of moment. But it was so cool to, like, see this guy at our small little powwow. Like, it was a nice moment. But my stepdad, we got back to the hotel and we were, like, um, sitting in the van and he was, like, I'm just pissed that, like, we he didn't, like, announce it anywhere. And I was, like... Why? So then all these white folks can come up to our <laughs> yeah. powwow and, like, just get a bunch of autographs from Flea? Like, this artist who hasn't really produced music in a long time? Like, what? Um, and then I was like, if you are really, like, that mad about it, then I want you to, like, think about, like, if you were just coming for Flea, how that would make my mom and I feel. Because you're not here for the right reasons if you're just coming to see this artist. Like, who mm-hmm. cares about an artist like our traditions are almost dead which is so crazy to think about Mm -hmm. i mean like the the suicide rates in uh on reservations and the addiction stuff like the the shit that i learned after i got out of treatment like i knew a little bit about the the suicide rates Mm -hmm. but then when i started to learn more about the addiction side of things um I wish I could remember the statistics, but like I went down a rabbit hole of being like, if it's this bad out here and it, this sounds shitty, but like there that your culture is tethered to these like plots, mm-hmm. which is so fucked up. Like I can go anywhere and feel like a connection or integrate into a community or whatever. No problem. Mm-hmm. But for this to be like legitimately your land Mm -hmm. and you feel like a stranger in towns that you go to or you don't know what the reaction is going to be is so fucking weird. Pile on top of that, all of the modern problems that we have and like trying to I don't know, it's it bums me out to think about like, how do I know that we like on res that the same things that are available to me are available to to them Mm -hmm. does that make sense like where i'm going like yeah yeah it's just bananas it is it's kind of like the same thing that we were talking about before we're like relocation and stuff like that like Mm -hmm. resources are very scarce especially like in like shakopee that's a wealthy tribe i would consider my tribe a wealthy tribe just because of like oil money which is a really conflicting thing for yeah, me, actually. Yeah, but I mean, what does that like, even look like? It's a really, it's messy. It's yeah. really messy. Because I, I hear this a lot, too, which is like the assumption that um, just because you're Native American, you're getting like money from the government. Yeah. Or you're getting money from casinos, like See, all this weird shit. That's, the casino thing is not true. If you're... If your tribe is wealthy enough to give you disbursements, and they're not even, like, monthly disbursements, they're, like, our tribe does, I want to say, like, every six months or something, 
um, they just do disbursements and they sell you, send you a check in the mail. Well, that's only if you, if they have the funds for it. Right. Um, but yeah, we've been getting that for years now because of the oil money, but it's, it's so conflicting because like no dapple in Standing Rock, right? Like, Mm. and then Standing Rock is like at the very end of, or like the very edge of North Dakota kind of dips into South Dakota. And then our res is like northwest of that, which is like maybe two or three hours away. Okay. But we profit off of oil and they're fighting against oil. And then at the same time, then now there's all these like environmentalists that are Native American who are trying to get more like, is it holistic? Is it natural? I don't even no, like more like native plants and stuff like that. They're trying to like revitalize stuff like that. Oh, you know what um, I mean? Like environmentalists yeah, yeah, yeah. that are yep, like, yep, yep, yep. Uh, God, what? Are they, um, there's like um, I remember this because I worked at a paper mill, and for some reason we got a tour of the Mall of America, and it's <laughs> a um, they they came up with this concept. It's it's prairie something. Um, but like the westernization of like uh, manicured lawns and shit, right? Mm-hmm. So the people at Mall of America were like, "But why? Why waste all of this stuff when like just, just let the natural it. shit happen?" Right. Yeah. And so there's like, yeah, it was like a Grand Prairie movement or something like that, um, where they want it to look like what it's supposed to fucking look mm-hmm. like. So is is that like what they're trying to do? Yeah. I mean, kind of. And then there's just like people who are against like fracking and like Mm. it just ruins the land. And I do agree it ruins the land, but it's hard when it comes down to a nation's like livelihood Mm -hmm. versus like the land. And like because we used to have to borrow money from Shakopee every two weeks for payroll. Whoa. For payroll. That was the whole tribe, not just, like, the casino, the tribal building, the whole thing. Wow. So that's how fucking broke we were. Like, my mom remembers it so well. I don't really remember it all that well because I was young and just couldn't, like, comprehend all that much. But now that I, like, talked to her about it and because, like, I wanted to go protest for Line 3 here in Minnesota. But I was like talking to my mom about it and I was like, I'm just so conflicted because like it's just such a weird place to be in. Like your people are like suffering, but then the people that are like closest to you aren't. So it's just like, I don't know, you're like torn in two different ways and it's, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I still haven't like figured it out. I don't think I will ever. It's just like doing what I can to like give back to the communities that are. It's another like westernization thing, right? Yeah, like, it's just another like consequence where of it's been impressed upon people in uh, reservations that like you could live like us, which is like forcing another integrate. Ah, that's so fucked up. Mm-hmm. But it made me think of um, Leonardo DiCaprio did this documentary talking about um you know global warming and all these things and toured around the country and it's really like it was great it was fascinating but he went to india 
where they do not have access to uh, oil, gasoline, and these things the same way that the majority of the world does, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, uh, there's tons of sanitary issues. Plumbing is a huge thing. Um, Public defecation is super common, which is a scary thing. Like, um, so he goes there, and I think in the hopes of, like, talking about... Uh, like solar panels and windmills and shit, and is really weird because I I th- I think that he thought that they were using gas, and so pollution coming from them was I don't know, really weird. So he's talking to this lady, and she is pushing to get gasoline, like, and make things more available for the people of this of this particular city, and he's like, but don't you know? what it's doing to the environment. And she's like, you know how easy it is for you to say that? Like my people don't have proper plumbing. We don't mm-hmm. have. So it's like that weird confliction. You can see it on his face where he's like, Ugh. he's bringing his like big fat American <laughs> perspective into this. Yeah. Yeah. No, but they, yeah, that whole thing of like, don't you want to live like us? Uh-huh. Like, but they That's... don't know. They can't fucking live. A healthy, like sanitary life. They as can't even it is. get their basic needs met. Like yeah. they're not even thinking about living like us because they just know that it's like they just want to live in general. Yeah, <laughs> one step at a time too. Like, and that goes back to you guys though. Is like the the concept, or I should say, you specifically, that conflict, right? Where you're torn between, like, um. Uh, God, what's the phrase? I was ju- I just heard this in a stupid show that I watch, which is called Supernatural. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the the um, benefiting from your enemy to get to a point to where you can be um, independent, mm-hmm. which it's a fucked up thing. Like it's it's hard to morally like get behind that. But if your if your society is struggling that much, what choice do you have? Right. Because like we were talking about before, like the fucking resources that are missing for addiction, for mental health. Mm-hmm. Well, it's hard to if you don't understand. But it, you don't have to understand someone to yeah. Like, that's what I have think compassion too. and to like know that they don't deserve to be suffering and like stuff like that, or just like deserve to be hurt. Were you in Saint Cloud when the mall stabbing happened? No, but I was, my mom was. Okay. And she, I remember like being like, I don't know if I want to move there. Like that was the mall? Like. Yeah. So tell I, me about it. After that happened, I, uh, the, I think it was two days later, I went to the mall and because like a lot of my background is in photography, so. That's how I got the job at Modify, mm-hmm. yada, yada. Um, but after that, it happened, like, when I saw it in the news, my first thought was, now things are going to get worse for that community. This is more fuel for, like, the racist fire that, like, when really that was a severe mental health issue that this guy didn't have the resources that he needed to be able to cope with whatever was going on. Mm-hmm. Um and so I went to the mall and was like interviewing people and a lot of people were like, t- 
the tone was like how inconvenient it was, which is fucked up. Yeah. So that doesn't surprise me though. Right. It's yeah. I was like, this feels gross. (laughs) Yeah. Like, so I decided the next day that I was going to instead try to immerse myself in the Somali community. Mm. Right. Instead of getting like secondhand accounts of, people that look like me like i should really like like if my fear is that things are going to get worse for them then i should try to understand their situation better Mm -hmm. so i went to there's i don't know if everybody calls it this but the somali market that gas station that got converted into like a tiny little market it kind of still looks like a gas station i think i know which one you're talking right off the division yes Yeah, yeah yeah so you go in there and there's a bunch of tiny little like uh uh stands mm-hmm. i guess and then there's a little grocery store on the on the side of it um but i went in there and they were stoked that i was there like because I, I i look different i obviously i'm not an intimidating looking person mm-hmm. <laughs> so like <laughs> it seemed genuine so i'm in there like having a positive experience and then i go to my car to grab my camera and panic like People stopped me and like took pictures of my license plate because they, it must mean that I'm going to do like a disservice to them and like show how bad things are. I don't know like what they thought, but I felt horrible because I was like, things are so bad in this community that having a camera could be a detriment to you guys. Mm-hmm. So, like, that little thing was so monumental to me that I was just like, I I don't know what to do now. Like, it's clearly this bad. (laughs) That, like... Wow. That they... Yeah, they thought they had to document every, like, aspect of me in case something bad came out. Um, So I went to a cafe, uh, which is West St. Germain, right after the bridge. There's a tiny... I think it's still there. There's a tiny little cafe there. Okay. And... uh, went there and, and uh, told the restaurant owner like my experience. He was like, don't worry. Like, it, I mean, he understood why, but um, he was like, it's, you know, that doesn't mean that like they all hate you now or that, you know, whatever. They were just scared. And he goes, my name's Ahmed. This is Ahmed. This is Ahmed. And this is Ahmed. Stop. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so it was super funny. And, Was he uh, being serious? Yeah. No. There were four dudes named Ahmed in the cafe at that time. Oh, my God. Super funny. They are just playing cards. Just dudes just chilling. I think I know what cafe you're talking about. It's that one with, like, the booth, like, right in the front window. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, And then, but his suggestion was uh, to go to the mosque. Oh. Like, anybody can go in there. Okay. And uh, I forget. Every so many hours, there was a different thing going on. Yeah, because they pray like it so many times a day, don't they? Yeah, and there's the Arabic service, and then there's an English service, mm. and he was like, "Anybody's free to go in there, man." So I went and super chill, and it was funny too because like the progression that I wanted to happen, even though it's gonna sound shitty, there were <laughs> these three dudes that showed up late and they smelled like weed. And I was like, in the back of my head, I'm like, yeah, good. <laughs> like, <laughs> in the sense that, like, they're going to change. Mm-hmm. And 
it's going to be harder for people to say you're so different. And so the more that that shit happens, I'm like all about it. I get that like on a religious aspect that it's like frowned upon and Mm -hmm. this and that. But it's like do what you want to do because that's the only way that things are going to change. After the service, there was one white guy and he came up to me and he was like, so are you searching like, you know. What uh what what brought you here? And I was like, I gotta tell you, I'm an atheist. So I'm sorry. Searching. <laughs> well, like um searching in the sense of like spiritually. Okay. Okay. So like looking for answers, I'm, uh-huh. I'm assuming is what he was he was talking about. Cause then he went into his speech about like why how he ended up becoming Muslim and um the reasons for it and it was a lot of like Similar things that I was seeing, which was like, it's not right that we immediately had this viewpoint on this community. Like, so ironic that we're like, they invaded St. Cloud when it's like, bro, the only reason that you're here and able to say that is because we invaded. I was just going to say, who else (laughs) invaded St. Cloud? (laughs) My professor actually asked us... um, she used to work at Anna Marie's okay. shelter in St. Cloud, and now she works at the new multicultural center at oh. the Technical College. Oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. They have a new center or whatever. So now she's like working there. But she was telling me. Uh oh. She was telling me. <laughs> My professor prompted us to, like, research why and how Native Americans aren't in St. Cloud anymore. Oh. Yeah. And I never, I've never done that. Um, So, yeah, that that gives me a little bit of homework, I guess. But Interesting. Mm-hmm. I never, it's so. Because on the Riverwalk, have you ever been on the Riverwalk? Uh, it's been a while. Okay. Are you talking so, about, like, under, like. The, that un- overpass yeah it's like right underneath like the train tracks yeah yeah yeah. okay um so they have like little um info things oh yeah and there's one that's on native americans and i can't even remember what the fuck it says but i just remember like reading it one time i used to walk that every day with my dog and like reading it one time and being like I wonder how much of this is true or like <laughs> what kind of language that they changed here, you know, like, cause it, it happens quite often. Oh yeah. I was, uh, so I was raised Mormon. Yes. And, uh, I remember being in history class and so Joseph Smith is the guy that started the whole thing. And in this history class, they said that he was lynched mm. and I was like, there's a whole center like in uh, Nauvoo, Illinois, where he was shot with other prisoners in their cell. So it's like, there's a, there's a whole fucking town dedicated to this, and we still, in the history book, fucked it up. Like, So, yeah, it that shit happens all the time. It's in, insane. I was thinking about, Smith. like, <laughs> those, I mean, it, it, that whole... I I can sympathize or empathize with a lot of things because of how like 
conflicting the Mormon religion is, there's a lot of indoctrination. There's a lot of, like, I don't know. It's really weird. The, 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 that, that conflict of how the world views Mormons and because I was in that community, how I know they truly act. But at the same time, knowing this whole fucking charade as to how the religion started and so that it, it sucks because my parents are still very very much mormon they are okay yeah and yeah trying to yeah reconcile with like i hate it but i don't want it to be misrepresented and like that whole fucking thing the other day there's this guy at the gym he's wearing this like byu shirt it's a byu and he's with this girl and I was like taking my shoes off, my workout shoes off and putting my other shoes on. And I was like sitting in front of her stuff or something, but she was just standing there just like smiling at me. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And then I finally like got up and she like grabbed her bag and I put two and two together that she was waiting for her bag. And I was like, oh, okay. And then my boyfriend was like, why didn't she just say that she needed that bag? And I was like, I don't know. Like, she's she's with that guy that's Mormon. So, like, you know, like, they're pretty, like, passive. And, like, they don't, like, say what uh, they want. Uh. Yeah. And then she, like, was, like, walking away. And then she, like, turned around. She was like, being Mormon is just more than that. Oh, she heard you guys? Yeah, she heard me oh, say that. Oh, no! And then I was, like, in my head, I was like, oh, like, what? Like, doing mission trips and, like, being, like, a modern-day colonizer? Or... <laughs> Like what is more? I don't know. I have I have huge biases against religion. Oh yeah, because I mean they used it as a guise to go through this nation. To, yeah, like kill the Indian. Basically, yeah. I mean, like shit. That's what the what they said. Um, you know what's fucked up about Mormons? Actually, or I shouldn't say. Oh, this is that weird thing. Where yeah. I'm like, so Joseph Smith and his family, what they did. So they claim that jesus came to north america right so like in the christian religion he rose and mm-hmm. like did a tour and <laughs> did a world tour <laughs> jesus a world tour so the mormons believe that he came here and that native americans are actually descendants of people in the middle east <laughs> even though there's zero connection um, so there are a lot of Mormons or Latter-day Saints, as they like to be called, mm-hmm. um, that if you would just bring it up to them, I'm sure they'd snap out of it. But they're taught that Native Americans are descendants of like people from Israel and things like that. Um, and so that is insane. Yeah. But because of back in the day, they just go, oh, they're the same. They're both brown. That makes so much sense. And it just stuck. <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. Yeah. So, I don't know if you knew this, but you are part Israel. Right. <laughs> wow. I, you know, I knew it. <laughs> I felt it in me. <laughs> um, okay. We went straight back into the race stuff. The stuff that you went to school for, what, uh, the uh, gender studies? Gender women's studies, yes. Gender women's studies. Yes. Okay. So what is it that you would be doing with that degree? Okay. So for a minute last semester, I switched my degree 
from that to social work mm. because I wanted, well, Finn actually um, influenced me to do that. Social work is mega, mega, mega important. It is. <laughs> I don't know if I need to do that, though. Maybe I will. I it's don't tough. Know. There's a lot of things I want to do in this life. Like, I one day want to own a flower shop and be a, a, a like magnificent flower designer. Because I'm super creative like that. Okay, so what and you I need love... to do is move to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, which is at the tippy top of Idaho. And it's the most beautiful little town in the world. And there's flowers everywhere. See, and I would love to do that. <laughs> I would love to be a mountain girl. Um, But yeah, with social work, I wanted to... Ultimately, like, work with Native youth and, like, urban Native youth, so, like, in the cities, and help them navigate life off of a, of a reservation because you're away from your family or even, like, going to school as a Native. You don't have any community. I mean, it's really hard to find other Natives, and you don't really realize what you're missing out on until you have found that community and those friends that just kind of, like have that humor a little bit or just have like that experience mm-hmm. um uh trauma bonding exactly that and that's like a <laughs> lot of like native humor is a lot of trauma bonding um but it's also a way of like coping and it's also a way of like showing white people that like i don't know that like colonialism is like a joke and like a way um there's 1940 christopher columbus 19 is it 1942 that he sailed the ocean blue? Oh, 1842? 19. 1942? 14. 1492. <laughs> 1492. That's when. But there's this YouTube group, the 1491s, um, and it's just four guys that are native. They're, some of them are Dakota. Some of them are from other reservations, but they're, they're from Minnesota. Mm. Um, one of them is Dallas Goldtooth. And Dallas is also on Res Dogs. Oh. And he's so fucking funny. But they basically just, like, make fun of, like, these native stereotypes. I mean, it's how we cope is, like, trauma bonding. I mean, like, what else are we supposed to do? Like, just sit here and sulk and be yeah. drunks? I mean, like, no. <laughs> um, But, yeah, he's really cool, really successful. And did, like, a really good representation of, like, not, like, a native, like, He's kind of making fun of, like, really, like, traditional Native people in the show. But it's also in a way that's, like, like uh, people perceive traditional people, like, to be, like, really, like, one with the earth. Put your oh. feet on the ground. Let them get wet. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, touch some moss. Go put your face on the sun. You know what I mean? Like, so... It's so, kind of breaking stereotypes in a way yeah. too. So um so like satire? Kind of, yeah. Like uh so mo- most of the time satire is to show how ridiculous it is that somebody holds this viewpoint a- about a certain culture mm-hmm. or practice or whatever. Mm-hmm. So like that that's what that sounds like is like what what he's trying to highlight is the fact that you've got to understand how insane it is that you guys think that this shit is like how it actually goes down. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what you wanted to do with social work. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. So, so yeah, I wanted to work with native youth. Um, what changed? And I still do. 
Mm-hmm. I still want to. Um, but there was a moment like this semester, I was just like so sick of doing the same thing, like going to school and like not being done. Mm. And social work, it was going to take me a little bit longer to get that degree. Um, but I still have like a shit ton of credits to get through. But I'm almost done with gender and women's studies, so it just make more sense to do like two minors. And then, you know what I mean? Like, when my advisor told me to, like, choose things that I am going to need skills in to be able to work with that population. Ah. So I am doing intercultural communication and conflict management. Mm. Well, the interesting thing about, like, I mean, you... It's so funny that, like, people think that they have to get all of their schooling done, like, before they're 25. It's, it's a lot of pressure. Yeah, it's it's fucked up because, like, my both of my parents went to school in their 50s. Mm-hmm. And, like, th- nothing is set in stone. Mm-hmm. So, like, whatever it is that you – because you should continue to learn as you get older. And so with whatever you get your degree in, you're not stuck with that thing. You're not trapped in any way. It can be things that help you and eventually assist into another field that you didn't even think about Mm -hmm. and a way that still helps that community. So, like, I hope you don't feel like you're trapped in any one thing. I get that, like, the the years, the more years that you have to put in, just think about it. They're on the back burner, Mm -hmm. like get set up in something that, you know, fulfills you at this time. Do that thing for X amount of time and then. If there's an opportunity for this, go for that thing. Or if it seems like there's a real need at that time, then go for that thing. Right. It, it'll still be there. Yeah. I mean, I'm just like, ultimately, I just want to be happy. Yeah. So I'm just going to do whatever makes me happy. Yes. Which is That's why move I in with Hunter. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I want to do, I still want to do flowers because for a minute I did. I did flower arrangements, but I don't want to do like the everyday bullshit. Okay, right, right, right. I want to do like events. Ah, oh, yes. Like, you know where that starts? Weddings. <laughs> Weddings suck. I they do. That's what pushed me out of photography. Is I had to. You had to do a bunch of. Like, you have to shoot weddings because those are the big checks mm-hmm. in order to fund the f- shit you actually want to do. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't mind doing like family shoots and stuff like that because I'm good with kids and. And all that, but like the artistic stuff, the stuff that we really want to do that's fulfilling, nobody wants to pay for that shit. Mm-mm. So you have to do the ugh, ugh, 14 hours of wedding bullshit just so that you can just so that you can buy the materials to make one fucking Instagram post. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> oh, my God. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> That sucks, dude. I don't want to. I mean, you got to do what you got to do, I guess. Yeah, and that's that's the unfortunate thing is like dreams become hobbies, mm-hmm. like in in capitalist societies. It's but you know I don't mind. I if if I'll be happy if I can do floral design like on the side, even if it is just like because it's a dream to like go do like big scale, large scale things like events and stuff like that for like convention centers or any type of event that would need like a big archway of flowers. Like, Mm. 
But if it just turns out to be like, I get a part-time job at a local flower shop, so be it. I mean, and I could just specialize in like events instead of like having my own like LLC of oh, like yeah, just yeah. me doing events and not doing like I'll do like special order things maybe. Yeah. But um so one of the many things I want to do. With the um because uh weren't you working with Finn? I do. I do work with Finn. You do work with Finn. So what are you currently doing? So I'm a programming outreach assistant at the Women's Center. So I'm not doing directly gender violence okay based work but i'm preparing myself for it like i'm in the gender violence awareness committee and we're like preparing for like sexual assault awareness month in april um i'm taking that class the advocacy training course which is kind of kicking my ass because my professor is not very under like Remember I was, like, telling you I was, like, coming down with some weird, like, oh. sickness or whatever? Mm-hmm. I was sick for, like, three weeks. And had to miss... It's, like, a weekly class. And she's... Oh, I guess no. It's um a mandatory Minnesota... I think it's a law that in order to be a sexual assault advocate, you have to have 40 to 45 hours of training. Um, oh. Yeah. So, like... I understand why it's, like, pertinent for me to be in person, but I was also on Zoom. Mm. And the one time she didn't send me the link, she didn't include me in the email. So, like, that was out of my control, but she still had me do a shit ton of, like, bullshit makeup work. Mm. I was, like, pissed because I was, like, this isn't even my fault. Like, <laughs> you did this. Um, But, yeah, she's kind of on my ass right now. But I'm really looking forward to, like, helping people in that way and just like because i wasn't like i didn't have the resources i mean i knew that they were available but i didn't take advantage of them like i wish i would have um in in what sense in like being sexually assaulted Mm. like i i told my professor but it was a really complex situation though because it was my boyfriend so, like, I didn't want to get him expelled from the university, but I told my professor because she, it was the morning after, and um, I stayed with him that night at the dorms, so I just, like, walked to class, like, five minutes before, and I'd usually, like, get to class, like, 15 minutes early, so I could just, like, talk to her, and, like, it was my same professor that I just, like, love and adore. Oh, oh, okay. This is her. But then at the end of class, I'm usually, like, in those types of classes, I usually, like, talk a lot. I usually engage a lot, ask questions. And I didn't at all that in that class. And so she, at the end of class, was like, are you okay? Like, what, is there anything going on? And I was like, no, I'm good. And then I was, like, in between buildings outside. And I was like, she's the only person I saw today that, like, asked me that. And if I don't say anything now something really bad is like gonna like come from this like of me just like ignoring that someone like asked me if I was okay so then I went back and I was like I actually do have something to tell you and so I told her and she was like well I think I told you this before but I'm a mandatory mandated oh mandatory reporter yeah mandated reporter and I was like okay fuck 
what did I just do? And then she's like, it's completely your choice. Title IX is going to reach out to you anyway. If I tell them this, like, and she had to. So she did. And then they reached out to me and I was like, I don't know who you are. Bye. And I like hung up the phone. Um, But yeah, then she like prompted me to like, at least go to counseling, like at least go to the school therapist about, you know, whatever I needed to talk about. So I did. And I really loved her. Um, But I still stayed with that with that guy for like a year. Finn was telling me that's actually really common. Yeah, really. Which is scary. Like in intimate partner relationships? Yeah. I I hadn't thought of that, but like there's, I would imagine like an, uh, like a feeling of obligation. Like it's a conflicting feeling because you're confusing intimacy with like violence mm. and like it's also weird too because they're supposed to like love you and like they're supposed to have like your best interest in mind and then they do that and then you're like well what does this mean like then you're also confusing love with sexual assault mm. and like is this how it's supposed to be i know it's not how it's supposed to be but it is and then the confusing aspect of like, well, we both go to the same school. I can't not like ruin his reputation and his degree and mm-hmm. all that just because we go to the same school. And then it was also this like selfish. No, no, not selfish. It was very selfless thought of like, if I tell someone about this and I report it, then he's going to be like, not like shipped out, but like he's going to have to move. Mm. And then that's going to like ruin everything that I know about like a relationship and like where we are like physically and mm-hmm. mentally. So what happened? <laughs> so I just kept going in counseling. There was a couple of times where like we would get into fights about it. And like, like he just wanted you to get over it. Yeah. He wanted me to like get over it or like quit bringing it up because it made him uncomfortable. And I was like, well, how do you think it made me feel like I'm, I don't were even you guys know living together. I mean, it was like off and on, like I would stay at his dorm or then he would stay at my apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when I lived with Hunter, too. At the oh, time. Okay. Hunter did not like him. Like, at did all. he know? Yeah. Hunter knew. Oh, like, my God. That that night that it happened like i and that morning he was like he was like almost borderline mad at me but he was just mad that i would like still stay with someone it's it's the so like it happens with parents all the time it's yeah. like concern man mm-hmm. where like it sounds really aggressive but it's because mm-hmm. i fucking love you so much right and it's like <laughs> you know better and like you act like you cuz like I don't think my attitude has changed as much as, like, what I know that I deserve in, like, that sense of, like, a partner. Okay. But, like, I let someone do that to me, and I still stayed with them, so I was still proving to them that, like, they had power over me, and I never, I never let a man make me feel like that other than him. And so it was just, like, Hunter was just, like, 
you're so much better than this and you know it like and so that's where his like anger I think came from but then okay yeah so I went to counseling yada 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 and turns out he was going to counseling too and his counselor was concerned with his mental health and like he thought that he was like either schizophrenic or bipolar or multiple personality disorder or I think that's called disassociative identity disorder now um so anyways he ended up having a bad session one day and his counselor called the cops to do a wellness check at my apartment oh yeah so I was getting ready for class that morning I had class at 9 30 and the cops roll up at like 8 45 and I was like well guess I'm not going to class today and they were I was like literally still in my towel and just like in the lifetime shows yeah like literally I was like <laughs> household wifey like <laughs> and then um yeah they were just like asking me questions asked if they could come in and so then after a while they were like you know like we need to like take you to the hospital just like have like a wellness check you no like him oh oh, okay and um he was like pretty willing like he wasn't like really resistant and what i was expecting that he was going to be like fuck no like really aggressive and just like violent and stuff but he wasn't but then we went and i drove like behind them and he got admitted and i had this like kind of like mental breakdown we were really like codependent on each other mm. and hunter was already moved out of the apartment wait he got admitted into st cloud yeah into the st cloud hospital like, like was the... he on the adult mental health unit mm-hmm. what year was that 2019 Okay, so just beginning of 2019. Oh, at the beginning of night. Okay, yes. Because the next year, I was on that unit for eight days. Really? Yeah, he mm-hmm. went there. He went for probably 72 hours. Th- yeah, it was a 72 hour hold, but then it was a Friday. So then, oh. so then Saturday and Sunday didn't count. Yep, yep, yep. And so then it was Monday, Tuesday, and then he was already expelled from the university, and um basically didn't have anywhere to live because he was in the dorms. Right. So he was talking to his uncle who lived down in Rochester and they decided that he was going to move to Rochester um, and extended his, he extended his stay for I think three days. So it was um, Thursday or no Wednesday, Thursday. And then Friday, he got out on Friday. Um, And then, yeah, he moved down to, rochester and we did that for he left in may so until like february of 2020 wow yeah it was like right after valentine's day that i broke up with him but i just like knew that like i don't know i was like slowly like detaching myself like i had to do it like in my own time I was going to say there was a, so like a fucked up thing about my situation. So like none of this stuff would be happening were it not for a comedian in St. Cloud. So I was doing stand up for 
I guess I've still been doing it every now and then. So but been doing stand up for like four, four or five years now. Mm-hmm. But it really ramped up when I met this guy. Uh, and he ran an open mic in St. Cloud at the red carpet mm-hmm. uh, at the Keller. I met a bunch of other comedians through that and like got really motivated, had my comedy podcast. And so like it like he like was the beginning of a lot of things for me and was like introduced me to all these people that like, I mean, one of them is my best friend now. Uh, This guy weddings happened because of him, like all of these things. And then we found out that he had raped someone. And the fucked up thing about it was like, I'm such like an advocate for believe all women because if there's going to be casualties on either side there will be far less men who get falsely accused than women that will be saved if we falsely accuse somebody you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so like potentially 12 women could be saved or this guy might have been falsely accused and he goes out and rapes more Mm -hmm. so it's like i am always like somebody's going to get screwed and I, it's it's safer for women to to side with them. Mm-hmm. And like when men bring up like men get raped too, it's like who are they getting raped by? Other men. Mm-hmm. So it's still the same problem. Right. It's still <laughs> like a, a power. It's a power thing. Yeah. And that's one thing I'm learning in like that class is it's always has something to do with power. And you're right that most of the time when men get raped, it's by other men. And it's because a man is either scared to come out that they're, you know, gay, which in this time, it's like, come on, like everyone's yeah. gay. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the trendy thing. That's um, what I said. Like, I think that like eventually it's not even going to be a conversation. Like somebody is dating a but, girl for a year and then the next year they're dating a guy and like nobody will, it won't register that that even matters. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like my but kids like, are growing up with, my son is friends with somebody who's pansexual, transgender ooh. and gay. So like, but he like, I've tried to talk to him about it and he's like, well, so like to him, it doesn't register as anything that matters. Mm-hmm. But back to this this thing with the guy, right? Mm-hmm. The reason why I was bringing it up is because that girl, so he has had so many concussions and has massive memory issues. So he doesn't remember the act, but the next morning he was very scared and he was like, did something happen last night? And the girl said, yes. And he was super like apologized up and down and like couldn't believe that it had happened. So she had to go through that motion of like, Oh, this, he didn't even, he doesn't even remember that this happened. So like, how can I be mad at him? And, but then she kept having to see him because they both lived in the same town and he was getting more notoriety. He's ending up on radio stations. He's there's posters, there's Mm -hmm. videos, there's all these things where she's just constantly being reminded of like, things are getting so much better for you. And I'm still having to sit with this thing that you did to me. Mm -hmm. Even though you don't remember, like it doesn't take that action away. No, 
Yeah. It almost probably would make it worse because then she feels like she's the only one that like went through it. Yeah. Or like the only one that was like there. Yeah. Yes. So like with your situation, like that's what it kept reminding me of is like the, the just mental like clusterfuck of what, like why is there any responsibility on the victim? Like, this story happens over and over and over of like how the the victim is picking up the pieces and doing all the groundwork and all this shit well yeah and i like i mean fuck he was so mentally unstable and he ended up he was bipolar um i think he was he could have been bipolar schizophrenic well it was bipolar one i think so he was he would go into mania and then he would go into like a deep pit of depression if he like you know wasn't on his meds or whatever. You know what's crazy? If he has ADHD on top of that, like if you don't attack both because it, in adults it, very similar symptoms, um, the impulsiveness, the big you know spending a lot of money that you don't have, like so many parallels mm-hmm. that like you attack the one thing and it's like dope, but then you have the ADHD, so it's like you kind of like nerfed it a little bit, mm-hmm. but there's still this other aspect that you have to, it, which is tough to recognize because you're like, Oh, it's the same. It looks like the same thing. Right. In certain people. So like if they, yeah, it's just crazy. It's, wow. I wonder how meds affect that. It's, you know, like, cause you have to, cause it's, it's funny though, because like, not funny, but it's complicated because like he would, have to take his antipsychotic meds but then he would also have to take a certain kind of antidepressant but like mm. if you take a certain kind of antidepressant it can put you back into mania mm-hmm. or like accelerate that path so that was always like the when he did finally move to rochester it was always like are you taking your meds are you making sure that you're like going to your psychiatrist appointments your therapist appointments because he had two different. So you were still checking in on him while he was in Rochester. Oh God, yeah. Wait, were you guys still dating when he was? We in were Rochester? still dating. <gasps> yeah. So like, and that was like Kaylor Johnson. I can't believe. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> I was like mother, and I was like trying to like still take care of myself. Like I was still going to therapy and stuff, mm-hmm. but I was like still a, a wreck that like he was. It was so weird though, because like I was a wreck that he was gone. But then when he was here, it wasn't even that great either. Yeah. So it was just like, I don't know what it was. My my therapist really didn't give me like a set, like, this is what it is, you know, which Who she did never... you have that you could, that you had like that deep of a relationship with, like that was equivalent in, in St. Cloud? Equivalent to? With your boyfriend. See, that's the thing. I didn't. Hunter. That's what I was expecting. Hunter was the only person that I had a relationship like that with. Or like, not was like codependent on him, but I was just like genuinely happy when I was with him. And not that I'm not happy when I'm not without Hunter or without my ex, but like. You you get an extra boost of serotonin. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's just like. Someone you have memories with, like, that just understands you without any explanation. Yeah. And um, 
because that relationship was severed, I didn't have anyone. And so I was just like, the only people that I had was my counselor, which was through the school, Mm. and my professor that I had disclosed to. And she would just keep like urging me to report it. And I was just like, I don't want to. Like, I just can't. Like, we're still together. Um, But there were times that I would like, I would like threaten to report because he would just be so dismissive about it. Yeah. But yeah, then. Yeah, when he was down in Rochester, I was always, like, checking on him and, like, calling his uncle and making sure, like, he was telling the truth, like, about taking his meds and all that So taking taking care of someone distracts you from your own problems. Yeah. Su- super common with, with individuals who have mental health issues, especially, like, uh, massive depression. Um, it distracts us from how horrible we really feel. And it it more numbs it. Mm -hmm. Like if I can help somebody else out with their problem and because the shit that you've gone through is so extreme, it's like, I can deal with this. No problem. Exactly. So the fact that you were doing, it's a, it's a coping mechanism, but the, the shitty part is that it's also the problem. So like, but what, when you don't have anything else, what are you supposed to do? Well, yeah. And I like, and then finally, um, I started to like set more boundaries because my my um, therapist was like, "You don't have any boundaries, and you really need to like create some, just small ones, and then you can create bigger ones when you feel like you're ready." Um, but I was always like so worried about like setting boundaries because of like the other person's like reaction. You want to push them away, yeah? Because like I was never taught boundaries or like. If I was, I thought it was, like, a bad thing. And so I always, like, had this, like, negative. What do you mean? Well, like, there was, like, one time we were together and he was, like, talking about going to hang out with this, like, group of guys at this frat house. And I was like, oh, well, can I come? And he was like, no. And I was like, well, why not? And he was like, because, like, we just need to have boundaries and, like, there's not going to be any girls there. (laughs) And I was like, okay. But then I was like. But are there going to be girls there? <laughs> and then I saw on his scene and there was like trust issues. And I saw on his Snapchat story that he was like, he like uh, posted a picture of this bottle. And there was like a girl, she was sitting like I am. Mm. And she had fishnets on and he, she was sitting next to him. And I was like, see, like there are girls there. Yeah. And I was just like, okay, well, whatever. But yeah, I always like had this like negative connotation with like boundaries. Um, Because that means that there's uh, you're relinquishing trust and putting faith in the other person. And if it's shaky. And I'm super hyper independent, like in probably the most unhealthiest way ever. Um, So. I didn't like the idea of, like, trusting someone else's opinion Mm. on, like, who was going to be there or, like, I didn't even care because, like, there wasn't ever, like, a cheating until, like, later on. But, um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, yeah, there was never any of that, like, at the beginning. But then that kind of, like, sparked my, like, idea of, like, well, maybe there is something to worry about. Mm. But I always, like, suppressed that because I was, like... It's just so good. My rose-colored glasses were just like glued Aww. on tight to my face. They were just right there. What what 
what do you know about bipolar people and relationships now? Um, like, did you learn anything about like how the how they operate? So it's, it's so hard to say because <laughs> everyone is so different with like. It's true. But there's a pretty common thread of uh, destructive behavior. Yeah, I was going to say, like, he was always, like, then he, like, turned to drinking a lot because we used to all, all also have, like, an addiction together. Mm. Um, So, yeah, he turned to drinking after that, and that made me worry because I was like, oh, my God, my dad was a drinker, and, you know, like, that's just other trauma that I was, like, yeah. had to kind of deal with, but I was still dealing with my other trauma. So, yeah. um, My, my... I it's funny like I don't know if bipolar people attract each other but I have a lot of bipolar friends <laughs> and uh <clears throat> one of my friends explains bipolar relationships the best which is uh fuck you don't leave me. So it's like there's a lot of aggression but there's this like romanticized there's nobody else mm-hmm. even though there's all of this insanity i can't see myself being with anybody else but you yeah but if they lock eyes with somebody a certain way there's this like it's part of the mania thing we're like oh my god did i is this like could this be uh, so like um delusions of grandeur mm-hmm. right and it applies to anybody out in the field especially when we're in relationships because it's like i don't know it's it's a really fucked up it's like um it's romanticized but it's also like it i don't i've never figured out how to word it but mm-hmm. w- oh when you think about like movies right where like the girl is with somebody but should she really be with him because there's this other guy and there's like this whole weird like emotional cheating that goes on throughout mm-hmm. the movie and then finally they make out mm-hmm. or whatever <clears throat> that kind of shit is common in bipolar people Mm -hmm. like this weird romanticized thing of like are you my forever person are you my soulmate did i make a mistake oh my god because i locked eyes with somebody at chipotle and i'm pretty sure that she paid for my guacamole and we're in love now so like weird shit like this it was like that all the time yeah 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 and he would do it like right in front of me too Ah. yeah it was (sighs) but you know we have standards now. <laughs> yes. But there is, I don't know if I've learned like one thing. I think it would take a lot for me to be with another bipolar person because <clears throat> I think I would have to be like secure in the sense that like they're taking care of what they yeah. need to, you know, instead of like me making sure that they are. Well, because... a big red flag is people who. Uh, will label themselves bipolar, but they're not on any medication and they have done zero legwork. Like, mm-hmm. No therapist, no nothing. Uh, verbiage like, I, I, I can't be on pills because I don't feel like myself when I'm on them. It just means that you're not doing... Pills aren't like... It doesn't magically cure you. You have to do other shit afterwards. But bipolar borderline personality disorder super common for folks like us to be like i just don't feel like me Mm -hmm. i can't create my charcoal art pieces 
on Arby's wrappers if I bought these pills. Arby's wrappers. Yeah, it's it's weird. Like the the brain does this thing because you get so used to those high, like big ups that you like rationalize the massive depression Mm -hmm. where like it's either self-loathing where you're like well it's just gonna be me forever so fuck it at least i get to go do molly at coachella in a month like Mm -hmm. just weird shit that we rationalize to not take medication so that we can be our weird true selves Hmm. that's interesting it's also sad it's also very sad. <laughs> but it's like, no, but it's interesting to neurobiology. It's like really interesting to yeah. me. Like what the brain will do to yes. make you cope like through trauma or through an undiagnosed mental health. Yeah. I want to do my whole like diatribe, but I bring it up every fucking episode. So I'm <laughs> trying not to do it as much anymore. But if you <laughs> watch, I just did like a reaction video to Bobby Lee, the guy that's on Rez just relapsed uh, again. So he's in rehab. Um, the So I did like a 20-minute video, and I bring it up in there, which is the brain has the three-step process for executing things. Um, and there's a subconscious part, which is that midbrain, and uh, how that works in addiction. For listeners, I'm sorry, I know I bring it up like every fucking episode. But <laughs> if you want to hear about that, on, my, on the YouTube channel, little video where I describe that more. And that's that scientific part of addiction that I oh, like always try to stress for people is like, yes, deal with your feelings. Yes, deal with your mental health. But there's objective things that you can attack mm-hmm. and it'll make dealing with those other things much easier, I right. think. Um, so I always ask guests... Um, if they have any advice for individuals and I'm trying to think of like where to navigate, what kind of advice I want to pull from you. But I guess in the sense of like, cause you're 22, you're still figuring shit out. Yeah. I don't even know what the fuck I'm doing with, um, cause are you supposed to be learning more about your heritage? Are you supposed to be a social worker Am I supposed to be a florist? Exactly. Are you supposed supposed to be be an artist? Am I supposed to be a hairdresser? Uh All those things. So like, what advice would you impart on individuals who are in, I would say, similar situations as yours where you've been through some traumatic shit, but you're still trying to chug along? Like what, what helped you get through all of that stuff? I think ultimately, like, asking for help. It's okay to ask for help. I feel like there's so much shame behind, like, asking people just to, like, even just, like, listen to you. I don't need any, like, solutions to my problem right now. But just, like, because I found, like, when you ask people for what you need, they'll try to help you meet your needs. Like, even if it's just, like, a like something in inside of you that you just need to like untangle real quick. Yeah. I need to go for a walk. Yeah. Will you just like walk with me while I just like rant about my shitty day at work or my stupid ass professor right now? I feel like doing or just like asking people that well, and it can't just be like anyone. People that like you know will always like have like your best interest in mind and like people that you trust. I feel like just like reaching out 
is like been what has like helped me. I've been like so resistant to help too. That's mm. like part of hyper independence too. Is like just doing everything myself because it's easier, which it is very easy to get everything done at once right now. But at the same time, it's a lot more fulfilling to like ask for help when you know that you can probably get all those things done. But at the same time, at the end of the day, you're going to be like really drained and not your best self, not authentic. Um, yeah. It's just good to like reach out. Yeah. I completely agree. I talk about like, <clears throat> uh, this is another stupid line from Supernatural. But uh Isn't that the show with those two teenagers? Well, they're not teenagers anymore. Oh, they're men, they're grown men. Yeah. And they hunt monsters. <laughs> um, but there's a there's a quote from there which is uh blood blood doesn't end or family doesn't end with blood. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to be stuck with I always talk about like how um we accept adoption, right? And how you can create a family. Um, but for some reason, when you have a toxic family, people will say, ah, what are you going to do with their blood? Hmm. And it's like, well, you actually could say, go fuck yourself. Right. And create your own family, which really is just saying, have a support group. People that will support you, which is exactly like what you're talking about. But I think... Yeah, building a support group is huge. It's necessary. Yeah, for sure. I used to be, like, so against, like, having, like, a big group of friends. But I would also just get really overwhelmed easily. Mm. But I think a group of, like, solid friends is really what makes you, like, life worth living. (laughs) (laughs) Stupid. I okay, like, Taylor Swift. I was just, ew. Oh, God. <laughs> so, yeah, just like a cheesy well, I mean, but cliche moment. It's If it's true, then like, fuck it. I mean, sometimes getting over the cliche shit, like, who cares? You know? It's a cliche for a reason. Yeah. And I mean, if it works, if it, if it, if it leaves you feeling more secure and supported who gives a shit tell your friends i love you don't be afraid Mm -hmm. to say i love you to your friends and um nothing happens when you die so with that i'm just kidding i was gonna end the show (laughs) nothing happens when you die (laughs) you just become like a, a, a mist you become one with the earth an ethereal mist flora and fauna they gulp you up and then you become <laughs> berries for the bird that will eventually poop you out. Right. And then you or just if, keep on growing. Or if you're really shitty, you just become dirt. Yeah. But, what you know, soil's good sometimes. It's nutritious. Yes. So, nothing happens when you die, but you do become nutritious. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you so much for doing this. Of course. Uh, I, I really Happy appreciate to be it. Here. Super fun conversation. If you ever want to come back, more than welcome to. Fuck you want yeah, to bring gonna, somebody along? Yeah, I'm going to bring Hunter next time. Yes! Bring Hunter next time. Okay, I'll just be super cool and it's not a big Try deal. Try not to fangirl. <laughs> Don't fangirl. Um, yeah, thank you again. And to the listeners, be well to yourselves. <laughs>